I was going to ask you something. So I was, we were watching uh, Vevic on, he's, I think I remember what it was. He did the whole thing recently with uh, the Blaze, and then he went to Florida. Do you, do you get hit with a white adjacent, Yuri? Do people hit you with white adjacent? Probably so. <clears throat> you ever I'd had to deal so. with that? Yeah, like you, you're embodying sort of a European yeah. ethos, even as, as a brown man. Well, because you, you know, it was interesting. I remember when I became part of the CRC, I moved to Moscow nine years ago um, and joined CRC. It was like, okay, all of a sudden there's just like this dot. All, all the pictures I was seeing, there's just one dot. And it's like, wait a second, the CRC has a black guy? In it? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, 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 he's not black. <laughs> he's Brazilian. I was like, oh. Huh. That's because the rest of us are see-through. I was, like, I was like, I was like, I mean, I saw everybody. It was just it was interest all of a sudden. And I was like, so he's he knows where all the dead bodies are. <laughs> and he's probably had to go through his term of stuff already, you know. So yeah, I just yeah, and you've probably been through all you've heard all the things I'm sure sure you have to deal with already. I have, I have. Yeah. And I think it's just the I think the nature of it is that you, you embody the culture that loves you most in some mm. ways. And for me, the CRC is the culture that loved me most. Interesting. And so it's a, sometimes it's a proximity issue. Sometimes it's just a, a psychological dynamic. You love me? Oh, man, I love you too. And I'll, I'll eat whatever you put in front of me. And so you, 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 know, you become like the people you, you love most. And so you really, so then would you, you would agree with the white adjacent stuff then? Probably so. Really? Yeah. So then, but, so then, but in your world, you couldn't have the new face, like a black guy being the new face of white supremacy. But you, or could you? Ideologically, you could. Interesting. I, I, you know, so many people have have uh, come to me when they see me after they read a lot of what I write. They will say something like, "I just didn't know you were Latin at all." You know, but at the very least, what's happening is I'm just in, <laughs> embodying whatever Western culture has sort of dictated, and I find it appealing and attractive and delicious. So I just you, so you stop speaking in samba. You know, that's I think that's where <clears throat> you have sort of your your primary language. Then you have all these sub-languages that kind of shape the dynamic of your primary language, your native language. So if Western culture, European, you know, 16th century Geneva is my language, mm. that language is decorated by samba and shuhasku. Right, right. And Tonjo B and Girl from Ipanema, kind of stuff like that, you know? <laughs> oh, but I think that's what that's makes... A, that's one of the greatest songs of all time. Oh, it's fabulous. I mean, yeah. yeah. And I'm really grateful that Shrek made it popular. <laughs> right. I'm just grateful that Shrek made ogres popular because then I found Amen. my place in the world. I second that. So we were supposed to, this is kind of, I didn't even know we were going to record today. I was kind of surprised. But we were supposed to actually jump on to the next chapter of C.S. Lewis's book, yeah. B- Breaking Down Fairy Queen. Are you familiar with Fairy Queen, right? I am. Okay. So Jason has this time. crazy weird idea that that's the book that's going to get us out of all this uh, decline of Western culture as we try and reestablish the metaphor, right? Is that fair enough to say the metaphor? Yeah. Well, that it's the, that the metaphors of Western civilization that have died um, are the ones that are most embodied in the fairy queen. And so that the way back to uh, living within the metaphor system of Western civilization, I think the fairy queen is as good as, as good a door as you're going to find. Okay, so I've been thinking. So we were supposed to be talking about that, mm-hmm. and C.S. Lewis has an introduction basically to the whole Fairy Queen. What's the name of? The, I don't even have the book on. Um, 
I have the book in my bag in the other room, but I didn't think I was going to need it because oh. I thought we were skipping it. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to. Okay, so we're not going to. Yeah. That's not what we're doing. We're not right, doing right. that. Images we're, of life. That's right. Yeah, from C.S. Lewis. Uh, from C.S. Lewis. And so that's not what we're doing because you went on a trip to <laughs> Florida. Now you were, Jason, you were recently at both the Florida TP. TP USA. USA event. And somehow you got tickets. A gold ticket. Yeah, gold ticket. <laughs> To, to the, the Nick Fuentes rally. To, yeah, the uh, Charlie Wonka White Factory. <laughs> the cho- <laughs> the white, white Chocolate Factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you tell us what's going on behind them closed doors? It, it, was, it was fascinating, amazing, and not what I expected at all. Um, I, don't, I don't know what I did expect because my knowledge of Nick Fuentes, it involved him and... Yay, Kanye West showing up at Mar-a-Lago and mm. and causing and, and havoc ensuing. Mm, that uh, was your introduction. That was my introduction. I was like, who is this guy? What is this thing going on? Um, and I didn't think about it much beyond that. You know, read a little bit. Um, there was a, a Barry Weiss article ter- that kind of tried to lay out the um, journalistically kind of here's why this was a big deal and why it caused a ruckus. Then I didn't really think about it much again. Um, until a a friend of mine who runs uh, a comedy show said, "Hey, I'm I'm I ran into uh, somebody that works with Nick Fuentes. I'm going to try and get him on my comedy show. I think that would be, you know, a, a a huge win because everywhere he goes, everything blows up, right? right? And so, just thinking in terms of free advertising, <laughs> shake hands with Nick Fuentes. You got all the free advertising you want in the world." And uh, and it was it was for Lore TV and and I was like oh that's interesting you know that'd be that'd be a super interesting thing to happen and um and uh, he he had but he had been following the movement for a while and and um and so when these tickets fell in my lap I was like well I gotta go see this because um it's we, how can you say no. Right. Who don't you, who hasn't wanted to be on an FBI watch list? <laughs> who, you know, all that. <laughs> he, he actually hasn't been brown before. So he don't know how much we like try not to excite the things in our lives. Yes. <laughs> right. That's um, white privilege coming out. There. It is. It is. And I'm using it for all it's worth. That's, <laughs> Share um, some. And so the, so I was like, yeah, sure. I would love to go. And so it was, it was, um, it was an event. I couldn't, I, it's it's I'm still processing it because I'm still trying to work my way through what it was that I saw. Let's process it together. How many yeah. people were there? Um, I mean, it it was packed, standing room only. I I bet it's seated. It's probably seated 500, and it was 500 plus. Hmm. Um, and there were people that didn't get in that were waiting outside. Mm. So it was probably Jewish people, huh? <laughs> just wondering. I was just it was just a question. I, um, know. you had. You had it wasn't just white people. Right? Mm. It was it, there were white folks, there were Latino folks, there were black folks. Um, there, I had one guy come over because of the guy I was standing with and say, "Hey, wait, hey, are you Jewish too?" And they're, they're like, "Uh huh." And so they're like, "So I don't know." There was at least two Jewish people. <laughs> oh, there. did that actually happen? Yeah, that really happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw two Jewish people acknowledge, "Hey, you're Jewish too, right?" But they. <laughs> Just in case, just in case. <laughs> it's crazy out here. <laughs> yeah. um, which was really, I was like, well, that's it happened just right in front, right of, in front of me. So oh I thought, like, that was amazing. 
Um, and I mean, at these events, like I'm just there wide eyed watching. Um, and so went in and, uh, I mean, the energy in the room, it was like a rock concert. Mm. It was, um, I mean, it was, and like they started playing music at the beginning. I pulled my Shazam out cause I didn't know there's a lot of trap music all by black people. It's all they were playing trap music, all hip hop and trap. That makes sense. Um, and, and they're into it. And then Fuentes comes out and they, and he comes out and, and, uh, he's first thing he says, you know, I, I can't remember. I can't remember the first thing he said, but he, uh, it wasn't long before everybody's chanting Christ is King. Christ is King. And I was like, what is this is not what I expected. I, not at all. You didn't think it was going to be a 21st century Billy Graham. Crusade. Right. It was, and so, <laughs> um, and so he, he starts talking and he, he talks about, um, I mean, he talked for a long time and he had these 15 to, to 22 year olds, uh, attention for a lecture. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the age group that was, that there. was the age group that was there. Now it, these, these it, age- there were, I, I would, from where I sat, I could see most of the audience. There were less than 10 women mm-hmm. total in the entire group. It was young men and he had them on the edge of their seat wrapped, um, talking to them about, he talked to them about, uh, you know, quitting porn, um, and how the, uh, it was a waste of their energy. He talked to them about, uh, you know, getting out of the, the basement and playing video games, getting a job. Like he was talking to them about like, what does it look like to grow up to, to grow up, not be a teenager anymore, not be a kid anymore and grow up to be a man. Talk to them about church attendance. He laid out, um, a clear presentation of the, um, the fall, the cross redemption through Jesus. He's a Roman Catholic. And so he said, so you should go talk to a priest Right. Um, as like, instead of an altar call, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, a, go find it, go find a, somebody that can officially baptize you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the, uh, but they were cheer. I mean, they cheered that they cheered no more, you know, we need to get rid of porn. Um, they cheered, you know, the, uh, even when he said, look in a, in a biblical culture, um, if you, if you get caught looking at porn, you're probably getting stripes across the back. Mm-hmm. They cheered that. Like it, it was, um, it was very interesting. But then he also said some stuff about the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> what? And then he said some stuff about uh, the superiority of European civilization growing out of the DNA of Europeans. And so there are things that you think. No, that's a problem. That's a problem. And then, uh, but then there's a a bunch of things that you think. This is these young men are here because nobody speaks to them this way. Mm-hmm. Nobody speaks straight to them about Christianity. About like men, nobody st- speaks to them about growing up and becoming men. Um, and you know, afterwards, uh, we had a a big, like a bundle of cigars that we picked up at the cigar shop. And so we just went out into the lobby where they were all and I just said, hey, anybody who wants to smoke a cigar with us, we're going to have a bunch of cigars out on the patio. They're free. We'd love to have you and just come out and talk. And we had about 20 20 young guys come out and take cigars and sit and talk with us. And and what was fascinating was um, the number of them that 
you were they were very open and willing to talk and and the number of them that had been um you know losers in their parents basements playing video games watching porn until they came across Jordan Peterson was uh, universally acknowledged by all of them as a huge influence um and then Nick Fuentes and I can't remember one other guy that Tate um no, oh that, but that was one of the things. So Nick Fuentes, he talked all about how, look, you may have, it may have seemed like it was an okay thing to be following Andrew Tate and listening to him, but now we know you absolutely should not be. These are not trustworthy guys. That he's a pimp and you'd probably get the death penalty and right. like, and and everybody was cheering, right? Like this is not just a like, hey, let me teach you how to get girls type of event. This it's was, not part of the manosphere in one yeah, sense, right? Yeah, and it's not that manosphere. It is let's let's grow up and be Christian men. And he he gave a long thing about how there is no hope um, for your life being anything but um, anything but a disaster unless you put Christ before all. Mm. And he had and these young men started chanting, "Christ is King, Christ is King." After that sort of, so it it did not hit. It did not hit my expectations the way I expected it to. Um, and then, but at the same time, he also um, blamed the Jews for the problems in Western civilization. Very clearly. <laughs> like that was, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's not okay. <laughs> is, Jason, is this, do you, my reaction to this is kind of thinking through the, the sociological category, is it, do you think because men, mainly men were depressed, there were no women there, right? Almost none, yeah. Almost none. Are they just content with scraps? They're, they're just content with incomplete syllogisms. Right? Mm. They're, they can take one or two, but they're, they're happy without the ergo. I, I think so. I mean, I think that there, that there, is, that there isn't any place they can go to be where they're treated like it's time to grow up and be men. Yeah. There's no, there's no, I mean, we live in such a fatherless society that I, that, that there, that void, um, that empty spot where a father is supposed to be, um, anyone who's willing to step into it immediately gets a hearing. Um, and so whether or not, you know, if they've got some, you know, if they've got some quirky views, they've got some quirky views, but, and here they are telling me they're speaking the truth. They're not ashamed. They're not ashamed of me. And I think that's probably a big, uh, as I've thought it through, I think that's probably a big part of what the draw is, is, um, you know, they're trying to shame you for being a man, for wanting to be a man, for wanting to be masculine. They're trying to shame you for wanting to embrace your culture. They're trying to shame you and get rid of you. And um, he called it, what do you, you know, cultural they're they're trying to to genocide your culture mm. right that sort of thing and um you don't have to be ashamed mm. right you don't have to be ashamed of who you are you right the sort of thing that a dad is supposed to say mm. to his son like i i love you i care about you there is nothing that you could ever do that it would make you not my son you know that, that well and kind give of, him his identity too yeah I mean. that that um and <laughs> and I walked away thinking, like, and the church is missing these. Mm. You, these, the church is is missing the mark on hitting these kids. 
these boys, young men. I mean, there's very few. I mean, I, I was trying to think of um, places where you go, oh, yeah, there's a spot that we're reaching out to those young men. I mean, I thought of Michael Foster. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought of. Doug. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, can you guys think of any other place where we're reaching out to these, that generation? Of, in, the, in the Christian, in the Christian world, world. I mean, obviously we had the Mark Driscoll. Situation. That's true. Does it also appear that this is a case where you have these competing father figures? You have children that are coming to their father and saying, Daddy, I want bread. And they said, nope, I'll give you a stone. But then you got Andrew Tate, you got Jordan Peterson, you got Nick Fuentes, you got these evangelical figures you know, who are, who are giving them versions of bread. Some are satisfying, some are incomplete. Right. But they're offering something substantial, <laughs> and at the very least they know they're not being deceived Right, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a big part of it is that the that you have this, um, that that they're willing to just speak straight, mm-hmm. um, with different levels of wisdom. I mean, like you know, Driscoll in the '90s, early 2000s, a lot of you had a lot of lives changed. Like, oh yeah, it was a movement. You know, families that wouldn't exist. If it weren't for that ministry, you know, um, because the the those men would still be boys hanging out someplace. Evangelical still evangelicalism still never enacts it to its culture. They never. It's like we know why Driscoll did well, right? Right, and we didn't say, "Oh wow, here goes some masculinity, some toughness, some girth, some grit." Yes, let's siphon that off. <laughs> They never right. annexed it to the rest of the of the cul-de-sac. Yeah, yeah. No, you're totally right. <laughs> it never yeah. became a part of evangelicalism as a whole. And that was the last thing. When you were speaking, I was like, that was the last time I saw that type of masculine movement in evangelicalism. The only other thing that comes across that way is like hard preaching. And so yeah. guys like Paul Washer attract a certain type of man because of the girth mm-hmm. and hardness of his preaching. Mm-hmm. That that hardness is a taste of masculinity, right? Because so many other pulpits are effeminate. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, you're right. And so and then guys flock to it like, ooh. Yeah. And they don't even know why they're there. Because Paul Washer's like, repent of your sins. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the way that daddy <laughs> says I mean, it's the way that he says it. <laughs> yeah. Where I'm yeah. like, oh. You know, and so they've never evangelicalism hasn't put that a part of it. Um, do you, uh, Pastor? You you're, you're pastor in a church. You have young men in your church. I right. I, I don't. It's weird. Okay, so sometimes when you're in a good church, you're in a good environment, you get sheltered from the rest of the world. And so you're like, things are great. Look at my people, yeah, <laughs> right? Right, right? And so you don't even. And then all of a sudden, people are like the world is crashing. You're like. Not in Goshen. (laughs) (laughs) Not in Goshen. We got light. What you mean y'all can't see? You know, we're doing good over here. And then you look out and you're like, ooh, it's bad out there. What's going on? Is that kind of how your church is too? Like you guys are are healthy in that sense, right? I think so. I think most people are coming in looking for cohesiveness. And maybe they were influenced by guys like Driscoll, Jordan Peterson, different perspectives. But every everybody who comes into a congregation, to a community, are looking for cohesiveness in in philosophy and in practice. And that's the kind of thing that I think, that I think has been exacerbated in the last few years is everyone has sort of, their muscles have atrophied, and as a result, their minds have atrophied as well. So they thought during COVID, there's no need for coherence. 
You know, I can live mm. here at home and uh, I don't have to engage in anything because there are father figures telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. And so, but then what that did is it, it awakened a certain group of people, perhaps the guys who were yeah. in their basements, and they said, no, no, coherence is a good thing. There's something decent about harmonizing my life, my actions, and my words. And so suddenly they're coming in and they're saying, okay, these guys are, are preaching something very hard, but it is also, it also functions well with hospitality, laughter, song, mm. good book studies. And so that sort of forms a, a picture that guys that are coming from that world where they were succeeding in incompleteness, succeeding in inconsistency, that awakens something in them to say, this world can exist. And in fact, these, this community is doing precisely that. So it, it's, an, it's, an, it's a very simple and a seamless PR campaign that we have. Mm-hmm. They come in and see it. And they taste it. And yeah. they taste it. And they said, this is good. Where can I find more of it? And then, which is unique, the other element, David, too, is also the fact that they're coming to a congregation where the guy up front wears a clerical collar, white robes, so vestments, pyramids, all following the liturgical calendar, which is completely foreign to them. But I can tell you, I've been doing this for 15, I've been in the academic world for over 20 years, that there was a time when people would come to congregations like ours and say, I don't want this, perhaps because of romophobia, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, but they, it just didn't it didn't harmonize with the way they looked at the world. Their reality didn't right. harmonize with clothing and garments as something holy or symbolizing something. So the other element, so it awakened in many ways a symbolic consciousness among many. And I don't have to spend barely any time convincing them of the validity of this. Because what they're saying is, if this world system is totalistic, Therefore, it must come with garments as well. It's, it's, yeah. it, the, the liturgy is makes sense because they already know they're expecting a liturgy to come from everywhere else. So then they're asking, "Well, what's your liturgy? Oh, this is your liturgy. Okay, this is how it, this is your offices. Okay, yeah, we got it. Right? Yeah. They're making the connections faster because they've the, the, the other worlds are already presenting that reality in one way or another. Is that it's, fair? Yeah, it's okay. fair. Because and, and so this moves me to my point because I think the thing I want to say something about the Nick Fuentes stuff. Um, you got. I, you got to remember, TPUSA just had an event, what, 6,000 people or something like that? You were there yeah, for that, I was right? there for that, too. So you were there for Tucker's talk. Oh, I got to say something about Tucker <laughs> real quick. This is all connected, okay? And Pastor, just, you're, you're doing great. Just jump in wherever you want to. Okay, but, sounds good. Um, Tucker Carlson right now is somewhere between a tent revival <laughs> and a Dave Chappelle stand-up <laughs> right after, not now, but before, right after the Comedy Central thing. Yeah. And everybody's waiting for him to come out because he just been fired. And he ain't spoken five years, and a charismatic revival, tent revival, Southern one where they people run around crying and sawdust is all on the front. If you ain't been to them tent revivals where they got the ramp that goes up one side down the other, oh, have, and yeah. the sawdust is all on the ground, yeah. and you don't, you ain't been really to a revival until you got it in your hair or in your face or something. Because yeah. if you didn't face paint there, the spirit wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's when I saw Tucker at the event, and since you were there, I you know there. how the energy was in the oh, room. It, it, it was electric. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. Pastor Yuri, I'm watching it live. And when Tucker comes up after his opening, they give him eh, nice applause. That's great. That's cool. But they're yelling at him 
and they're talking to him and he's talking back to them. And there's this symbiotic relationship between the stage and him. No notes. And he's just talking. and He's taking what they're saying. and He's spinning off of it ideas. And then he goes back into his dialogue and then he comes back out and then they yell something else. And then he responds to it. And and it's all cohesive. You know, that is that that is the the charisma of institutional freedom. Charisma yeah. of institutional yeah, freedom. It, it just reminds me of a. Hmm. Uh, it reminds me of some theologians of of the liberal variety, like guys like Walter Brueggemann, right? Hmm. Who are not really interested in defending inerrancy, and because they're not bound by sort of institutional expectations, what they have when they in, approach the text, they come with these amazing, like T.D. Jakes. <laughs> yeah, T.D. Jakes. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting observation too. But guys like Walter Brueggemann and some of the more liberal mainline guys who yeah. who look at the text and see connections <laughs> that the 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 grammatical historical, historical industrial complex exactly won't let you I mean. to see. Yes. And now they're saying, but I think Tucker is an example of that. He's been freed from sort of the bondage. Oh, of, wow. Of, of masters dictating in his ear what he must say and what he what must not say. Yeah, what he's not allowed to what say. What he's not allowed to say. Thing. And now he sees a certain... Uh, Freedom and his charisma is, is is even more accentuated, and that I, I saw a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. That kind of crowd Tucker interaction was probably the closest thing you will see in the secular world to a revival. It, it's the the old nineteen sixties Billy Graham interaction, yeah. right? You can see he's talking. He's this rhetorically gifted man, mm. and the people. You look at the the camera, sort of pans out to the, the people are just engaged. Thousands every of people. Second. I mean, you you had every seat full, and then you had there was an entire and I was in the standing room only. There was an entire ring of people standing, and it and that kept taking steps forward until we were packed into the back wow. of the seats while he talked. And I mean, the way Marcus put it is that's the most dangerous laughter I've heard. <laughs> went, yeah, because Marcus Pittman and yes, I were there, and, and he he laughed, and Marcus leaned over and he said, "That's the most dangerous laughter." I've heard in a long time. Like yeah. this is a, that's the laughter of a man who really is like I'm here to tell the truth and I have nothing to lose. I, right? do, I do not care. Yeah. I do not care. But that's what scares me. It was chilling. I mean, I, not chilling in a good way. Like I had, I got goosebumps multiple times while he talked, and I was like, Yeah, okay. This Go ahead. Is no, I, I think you know. Obviously, that was helpful because ideologically, he ended a few campaigns in the process. <laughs> And I think what what Tucker is he ended careers. He ended career. No, I, I I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. But that kind of prophetic freedom is really liberating for anybody listening because a guy like Tucker has the the years of Elon Musk, right? So he's got he's got one kingdom, but now he's building a new kingdom among yeah. seekers who are saying. I want some kind of religiosity that is nascent, that's not too overly developed. I'm like, ah, I got a guy for you. He was an Episcopalian most of his life, and now he's seen things in the Bible he's never seen before. So it's not a threatening religiosity, right? Even the way he couched and, and mm. used the language he used, it wasn't threatening. Right. He was just saying, to use my old fundamentalist, I was doing my devos this morning, <laughs> and I was doing my devos, and I found this cool life verse. Right. And it's something that Jesus said in the Gospels. And man, it was amazing. And these guys are saying, Tell me more. Tell, tell me, me more. more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So that, but that's what, so when you said you got goosebumps. Okay. So, yeah. you know, it, I, take, it takes a lot to get. I, mean, I know. Cause not, you, you don't, you don't, that's I'm not a, you. You're I'm stoic. emotionally stunted. He yes. doesn't know what we experience in the day. I know. Yeah. Right. I know. Right. Which is why it scared me because I'm watching digitally. All right. 
And I miss, I, I'm, you guys, I'm charismatic by nature. I miss kind of the charismatic being moved in the moment because right. it's, it, whatever was said was so good. The thought rearranged your, your worldview and you're like, oh, it's like the spirit worked on you. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. That happens quite often, but I can't act like I probably would act in the charismatic church where mm. I'm at right now because no, y'all would not. kick me out. Yeah, it probably would. <laughs> But when Tucker started talking and I felt the same sort of goosebumps, I started hitting my arm like, what's, 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 what's going on? This is not a religious service. What's going on? Politics do not, does, does it not do that. should not do that. And when I saw it, it scared me because I'm like, oh, my goodness. He's the kingmaker. I think he is. He's the kingmaker, which means that we are expecting a certain sort of research, work, expectation of his standards, intellect, wisdom, observations to be what we submit to. He's our, our generation's William F. Buckley. Sure. Mm. And so when I saw the interview that he did with Andrew Tate. Which I haven't seen yet. Okay. Tell me about it. You need to watch it. Because if it was Joe Biden's son, he would have gave him a different type of interview. Then he gave Andrew Tate and Tate and Joe Biden's sons, a son might have some things in common. Right. <laughs> right. At a practical level. At yeah. a practical level. level yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and so you can even argue who might actually win out at the end of the day if you got pimping going on. Now, given Tate's response to some of the video that came out after the interview, because there was one video that came out that showed Andrew saying it's six minutes. Clearly, he was pimping, you know. Okay. Well, that uh, came out after it the came interview. out after the interview. He he was he's got video clips of him saying he was pimping. How to run the cam girls? How how to you know have sex with the girls and then bring your bottom your bottom chick down with you to bring into the conversation so that she can jump on board because she might not be a you know wanting to she might be afraid. So here's how you get her in with the other girls. Got it. And so he's he's running he, game. Yeah. And so there's a six minute video. That's what Fuentes now says when we he says right. we now know that's now the video know. he's that's what talking about. Yeah. And so. For Tucker not to bring that up in the conversation on, so you mean to tell me, Andrew, that what you're being charged for now has nothing to do with your mindset and worldview previous to here? Like for Tucker to leave that part gapped and only talk about, oh, this is what they're charging you for, right? This is this is what they're charging you for and not to walk through the details. Well, how did you change? What changed your mind? What made you give up pimping? Right. Right. Like, oh, okay. We trust him to bring us. So Tucker is immediately making a decision about how he feels about Tate, which is he's totally fine to do. But then he brings us his decision. And so many people embrace Tucker's decision and perspective on Tate instead of it being objective. Right. That's scary. I, I wonder <laughs> if that is the if that is sort of the, the infancy of Tucker's religion, sort of speaking. So Tucker sees that Tate is he's an ethical criminal. We right. know that. Is this an example of Tucker saying, I will not punch to the right. I will let my guys survive their battles because at the very least, they're speaking my language in other political issues. I won't punch far right. I won't punch far right. Yeah, yeah. he's punching right. Yeah, he's, yeah right. <laughs> right? He's like, but I'm not punching. He's blowtorching. But those. anybody yeah. who's going to help chip at the block that I got to fight, which is the institutions, right? Because he's got to fight Fox, right? And Right. And so and Tate's got to fight Fox too. Uh okay. I, I think, you know, I think this is a this is very intentional in Tucker's perspective. Yeah. This is him finding I think so. this is him finding his version of Catholicity, you know? Yes. He's saying our tent is very big and if we gather these guys around around this cause against sort of the 
the institutional monitoring and maneuvering and damage that has been happening in the last many years of, of media history. If we can oppose these guys, later on we can deal with the, our you know, ideological differences. But now we need a strategic togetherness. Is that going to work? I think in the secular world that can't function. Mm-hmm. I don't think that can function because you need a you need a a genesis to guide your the way you think about reality, and I don't think they do at this stage. It, there can be some kind of of unique victories that they can have, but I think these groups are going to bifurcate. They're going to go their separate direction. Tucker will form a new alliance later on. There's this is a um, it's a political. Tucker is the master at political strategies. Yeah. So I think he's building his alliances, but I don't think long term, unless he goes in the trajectory of a Jordan Peterson who begins to see the world a bit differently, I don't think he'll be able to find consistency long term. In other words, when you build these immediate alliances based on very, uh, very skim unity Mm. in the Mm. long term, it doesn't take much for a guy like Andrew Tate to turn around and say, screw you, Tucker. Yeah, I think I think it's easier to create a series of immediate alliances based on co-rivalry. Right? Mm-hmm. You have the same your rivals with the same person. That's not the same thing as being in fellowship. Right. So having the same enemies um might put you in the same group for a time, but it's not the same thing as making you a Making you a people. Yeah, making you a people. So okay, I'm gonna ask you guys, have you guys been paying attention much to the manosphere? Are you guys familiar with that term? I have been more and more. Yeah. So, Pastor, you, you, are you familiar with that term? Andrew Tate. You Somewhat, got yes, Tate, yes. You got um, Jordan Peterson. You have a bunch of other guys. Right now, um, what's her name? Pearl Davis. Pearl she, Davis, yeah. yeah. She's the female she's Andrew female Tate. female Andrew Tate. Her, yeah. they're, they're pulling in there. So, and then you had Kevin Samuels. I don't know if yeah. you guys know who Kevin Samuels was. Kevin Samuels was the, kind of, he was a um, black version of... Uh, Oh, actually, he was kind of unique, but he was basically having conversations with women until they're not high value at all. <laughs> mm. um, uh, and kind of it was it's the and it's the push push against feminism. Yeah. Right. It's the direct opposite pendulum swing of feminism. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so you got the whatever group podcast out there. Uh, and so you have this huge um, gathering now of men who've well, should I, say, I don't know if it's huge. A lot of men have gathered to one place in the culture to complain about. Feminism mm-hmm. and it's growing. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of Christian yeah. com- people in the conversation. So, what is, what is you guys' take on um, the manosphere? So, the especially since you just got yeah, coming yeah. from some part so, of it, Jason. So, he, this the there was the TPUSA was really interesting for a bunch of reasons. One was it's the first time I've ever seen Trump speak in person. And that guy is a show. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the young people started walking away when Trump was talking. Mm. Right. They moved over. They moved over to watch Tucker Carlson and then they left during Trump. So that was one thing. Interesting. The, the other thing was that um, a lot of the young folks at TPUSA are really disenfranchised by um, the. Uh, TPUSA's, um, you know, they they are trying to build bridges with um, homosexual, yeah, homosexuals mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and transvestites, and they're they're trying to really build bridges and win over uh, homosexuals to 
conservatism. Right. And the young people are like, what? Why? What do you, this is, do you understand that they're the ones giving us all of the grief? Like, and so, um, but the, what the manosphere does is um, it works on, at an empirical level, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. says, let me tell you the, uh, what I see. Dudes are bigger than chicks. Mm-hmm. So you can't go around telling me that this girl can beat up all of the guys. Um, like it, that's the physics doesn't work. Right. So, um, and so the, and then, you know, they'll say, uh, uh, feminism has made women unhappy. Yeah. Right. Great. So, um, and they, and so, you know, the, the term, and I just learned it. So this is, this You're is, practicing, seeing practicing it here. Using, but um, it, talk about being based, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, yeah. Talk about being what, Jason? Based, wait, yeah. Wait, okay. Say, and wait, everybody say. laughed at me because I had to ask for a definition. <laughs> um, uh, just like four weeks ago. Okay. Maybe five weeks ago. We used to call it 10 toes down. But. <laughs> but, but I was like, what is that? You know, what do the kids mean these days? And they're like, it just means based in reality, yeah. right? Like, it if you look around and you and you have to do mental gymnastics to agree with somebody's uh position that uh, because it doesn't look like it it at all lines up with reality then um you're no longer just talking you're you're no longer you're no longer talking something normal you're talking a religion you're talking a cult you're talking something different because if you look around and you say well, I know it looks like all of the men are bigger, but you know, uh, women can wrestle, and if they try harder, at harder they can win a wrestling match with a man. So this is just not going to happen, right? And so the the manosphere exists is mostly made up of people that looked around and said, "That doesn't that doesn't make any sense," right? Now the problem is empiricism doesn't get you to purpose. Right. And so what happens is you have all of this, the feminism, you have a swing into chauvinism. And the chauvinists, um, they know that some of the things that they can say that are obviously true make feminists angry. And then making feminists angry becomes the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, it must be true because it made feminists angry. Because when I say, hey, men on average run faster than women, the feminists all get angry. And so, and that's obviously true. But if I say, so if I say, um, you know, something like, uh, men are, men, uh, naturally get bored and should be able to switch partners multiple times throughout their lives. Right. Uh, which is something I heard a guy say in that space, that's, space that's part, recently. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, they, cause they say, well, that's, I'll give that, you one. That's happening, right? And high, so they high say, value man. Uh, uh, that's yeah. the best conversation right now. Women should expect high value man to cheat. Yeah, right. So right. Say, and so don't get mad. He's a high valued man. So he should be, you know, right. you shouldn't be upset. He shouldn't cheat, but high value men cheat. The high top 15% of men cheat. And there's, and, and what they're doing is they're, it's empirically true. And they don't have any way to say ought, go from is to ought. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and so because empiricism doesn't give you any sort of ought, empiricism only can explain what is. Feminism is easily destroyed by empiricism. Mm. And and because of that, they have all 
walloped into this empiricism that gives them no ought. Right now, there are guys like Jordan Peterson that are coming in and trying to and and trying to provide. Here's how it ought to happen. But he's using the scientific method just as much, uh, and um, he's and then Jungian psychology and and some mm-hmm. things like that that are um, that have their usefulness. But it's not a it doesn't actually provide a a, a cosmological a cosmological cohesiveness into which I can actually find my place and find any sort of uh, no, ultimate an, satisfaction. No, but there is an assumption there, though. There is an assumption there. The assumption is, if you act like a man, I can show you empirically what those things are. Yep. And if you act like a woman, a woman, and I can show you empirically what those things are, then you lock into your place. So that is part of the assumption, I think, of the manosphere. Yeah, I think so. And but that and that's happening more and more because um, you've got more of the. Um, there's no the, the there's tr- no boundaries on that, though. By the way. The, oh, there's not at all. There's no. <laughs> um, the I was just. You know, we have some really funny show ideas, but one of the things that we've got is a show called at, at Lore. It hasn't been announced yet. You've heard is it here now. first. Called Fridge Magnet, and it's show ideas that are that we're just putting forward in shorts, mm-hmm. short short animated show ideas. Um, that it, and because this is where Rick and Morty comes from, American Dad. Uh, they all come from. Um, from liquid television well liquid television back in mtv did this and then uh the where i can't there's a um another show that is on hbo right now that they that does this right where you got show ideas you put forward a bunch of them you know an episode at a time but each one is a different show idea happy smiley friends just Mm -hmm. became its own show out of this and so um one of the episodes presented was uh Trad, Chad, and wife, mm. <laughs> and it's a hyper traditional husband wife duo that uh, that their superpower is knowing tradition, and so they go around fixing people's marriages just by knowing, knowing the tradition, tradition. Right? which I think is can be hilarious, right? Yeah. So you know, obviously, episode one is called something like the pickle jar, or, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Who's supposed to open <laughs> it? Yeah. Who's supposed to open it? Right? You know, um, but just. It, but it's funny because it's so obvious that that's what we need and everybody knows it and everybody also wants it to be anything else because traditional values um, bring everybody. Everybody knows that traditional values bring with it more than just the, the tradition itself. Yeah. We, yeah. What brings with it. Yeah. It brings with it more than just a way of living, but they know that the way of living is what they need. But they know that it actually brings a world. It sits view. on something yeah, else. It sits on something else. You can't just take um, a traditional way of living and put it and rest it on this foundation. Right? Rest it on a modernist or a postmodernist foundation. Which is why Nick is using uh, Catholicis- uh, Catholicity. Right? Yeah, Catholicism, he's using Catholicism yeah, yeah. to say it's, this has to sit on top of that. And I think he's. I think he he's a true convert to Catholicism, um, but I think partly because said. Oh man, I need a foundation. Mm-hmm. That one works, right? That that foundation actually does provide what I need. It gets it. It's really sandy at the edges, mm-hmm. which is why <laughs> movements like that tend to tip into rivalry mode. Um, you know, with you, the immigrants or 
the Jews uh. or bank the bankers or whatever. You're right. It tips because it's sandy at the edges. It's not a full blown right. cosmo uh, cosmic um, cosmological uh, worldview. So, what's your take on the manosphere? No, it, it it seems that the manosphere provides a, a controlling narrative to deal with with society. I was thinking. Oh, that's exactly. Yeah, what I was as, as you were talking about, I thought to myself: uh, if you read the uh, philosopher Eugen Rosenstock-Husey, he talks about certain cycles and themes of history. Right? You and I probably came across some of his stuff early on, many yeah. years ago. But these themes of history, it's always a a it's a comp- competition between who controls society, what societal themes can offer the most, again, cohesiveness to a society. And we do know that in the 1940s and 50s, post-World War II, there were your traditional categories, and we saw this sort of exemplified in, in the, the media of the day. And then we went through this phase where the entire oikos, entire household is turned upside down. And many today are seeing the fruit of that upside-down world and it hasn't produced what the feminists thought it would produce. It hasn't produced what the, what the South American liberationists thought it was going to produce. It just has produced more and more chaos. And every set of movements have to come to, to grasp what their movement has produced. And so you have now even these old-time feminists from the 1970s and 80s say, uh-huh. no, cancel yeah. culture. First wave, yeah. That is imbecilic. Right. Yeah. It provides nothing. It's foolish. And that's why you get these voices that you would never consider speaking truthfulness. Bill Maher. Right. That guy's like <laughs> oh my Bill God. Maher. <laughs> that's been so weird to watch. Insufferable, but he uh, speaks so uh, so much reality into the Los Angeles world, right? The San Francisco, that kind of that kind of uh, universe. And so you have these cycles going on. And now it seems that Perhaps they're willing to try something traditional again because we've tried everything else. We tried everything else, and <laughs> yeah. what we do know from from Mayberry is that there was at the, at the very least some level of harmony that people could walk in the sidewalk without fear of being shot. And so, if that model is restored, then we can we can begin to think through these issues again. The kind of model that says men ought to assume basic responsibilities. The thing that I'm shocked, I've heard Jordan Peterson speak, the thing that most shocks me, and Jordan Peterson couches it in this very sophisticated Jungian language, that kind of um, psychological language. It makes him seem very robust, but ultimately he's attracting the mass of man who don't have a robust classical education, right? Mm. And what, what always strikes me is how simple the message he offers and how loud the amens are as a result of it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he's not saying anything overly profound, right? But he is saying things that is awakening people from their philosophical slumber. Yeah. And he is bringing these men to a position where they're finally willing to say, life has meaning, life has a reality. I've forgotten that. Or I've entered into alternative realities that have not brought me the kind of pleasure I thought. And here's something that's producing something. It's producing... Um, it's its own its own oikos, its own households, and I like what I see with Aunt Sally because Aunt Sally goes to church on Sunday. Her husband, you know, is um, very eager to provide for her, and whereas mom and dad have been divorced for twenty years, mm. and look where we are, but look what's happening over there. So ten years ago, that's absurd. That's too traditional. That kind of orthodoxy is insane. 
But now they're saying, no, this is the salvation of society. Mm. My concern with the Manosphere is that they're producing what St. Jude had discussed in that little chapter in Jude, where he's concerned about the insurrectionist party that are going within the household of faith, interrupting their, their feasts, and essentially persuading the church to say, January 6th, January 6th, let's do this. Let's go into the inner sanctum of the political world. Let's destroy that stuff. That, that's, as pastorally speaking, that's what I want to avoid. So in other words, if the Jordan Peterson acolytes are coming to my congregation, immediately my first reaction is to essentially say, Jordan Peterson is great. He provides just a, you know, a thunderous form of common grace. But I want you to know that the end result of this is not a crucified Messiah. It may be you being crucified, <laughs> but you need to lay your sins and cast your cares to the man who's crucified on the tree. That will bring you lasting change. Jordan Peterson will take you only so far. I, I think you've hit... You guys kind of hit both of the things that I'm seeing. So there's a bit with Andrew Tate. I'm really interested right now in him because of what's going on with him. But I think you guys both hit it. There is an argument being made in the manosphere. Um, I guess maybe because I'm reading Iliad. And all this. Guess Jason's got me on this road to reading all <laughs> these classical you, works. And I'm like, oh, man, I might be too old for this. I look at my library. I'm like, I'm going to die before I get to this <laughs> section over here. It's not that big. Yeah. Um, but. I'm, li- I'm looking and I'm like, there's a fight right now in Western society. Or should I say there's a question that's being asked, who is going to be the best person to be the protector of Western society? Mm-hmm. And that question is being asked, and no one seems to think that that's being asked. But the guys who know it are Andrew Tate, mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson, the whole manosphere, mm-hmm. and the children. Yeah, well, <laughs> and women are asking it too. Yeah, so, but that, but that, is, that is that's exactly what Nick Fuentes is, is talking that's about. That's right, though, right? He's that's Some, right. Somebody's got to who is going to protect Western civilization? Yes, and Andrew Tate is like this way, right? And, and and they're telling you you can't protect Western civilization. And this is why the porn thing was so huge for Nick. You can't protect Western civilization. If Western civilization or the people who are trying to subvert Western civilization destroy who you are as a man by feeding you pornography. Right. Pornography destroys your identity as a man and as a white man. Right. <laughs> so and so there's they're 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 helping people. And, you know, we were saying this at lunch and this is, you know, even though black culture is a huge part of America, the breakdown of it has a different effect than the majority culture having a breakdown. <laughs> okay? Right, right. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's, this is super important because I was telling you guys at lunch that the thing that white men are going through now, young white men that are going through now, was something that I saw a black young man going through at the end of, of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and really culminating into the 80s trying to find their identity, these 20-year-olds then. And Nation of Islam came in and became that foundation for a lot. They became, you have your, you know, um, Louis Farrakhan yeah. who came in at that era and gave a, a hey, we're, we, are, we have dignity about ourselves. Put a suit on. Say yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Respect your mother. 
Love your wives. Get married. What are you doing? You can't have a nation without marriage. Love your wives. Be strong families. Build your own businesses. Don't depend on the federal government to do anything for you. And then they're on the corner and building their own institution. Nation Islam came right in the middle of the ghetto when people were planting churches in Africa and China and South Korea. Praise God for all that. They never imported to the ghettos where they were exporting out everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But the Nation of Islam was. Mm -hmm. And so they gave an identity to a particular group of people that felt disenfranchised. And now you have men growing up pretty militant under the Nation of Islam where you didn't have before. And and Nation of Islam... (laughs) Gave them their identity. And now white America is at that same place where all the family. Stru- and the reason that we had that in the black, in the black community is because all the family structures were gone. Manhood was d- demolished. You know, the structure of the family was demolished. Work and stuff. Thank you. Welfare was all d- demolished. And Age of Islam gave us away again. And so. you had the, And then you had the same thing like in Compton with the Bloods and the Crips. And same the, thing. Gangs. Yeah. Yep. The same thing happened in there, too. It was a protection. It was a guarding who was going to lead the way. Um, and now white America is at this place where I think Charles Murray makes this point too. like this. It's demolished to the point that now they're trying to figure out how do we save what's left, the remnants that are left. And Nick Fuentes and Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson are like, this is the way. And I don't know how the church gets in this conversation. Well, there's a couple of things. One, the reason that, it this it is the way it is is because the church has retreated from the conversation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So that's the first thing is um, the 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 font of the table are have been the pro- the protectorate of Western civilization. Mm-hmm. The font and the table, yes. Baptism right. in the Lord's baptism Supper. in the Lord's Supper and the liturgical yeah. cloth. <laughs> you gonna throw <laughs> that one in there? <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, because it's the constant reminder of of the real source of our, of, of our life, of our protection. Justification. So, yeah. It, right. Yeah. So it, every week you, ha- you go back to the table and you're reminded no, there no, no, is no. no other place. No, 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 no. <laughs> People don't do that every week. <laughs> this is where that's, that's absurd. That's absurd. You're right. People you're don't, right. Uh, I bet you money. <laughs> People don't do that every week. But, we do that every week. <laughs> that's true. No, but but I mean the 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 point being that um, <laughs> I think I just proved the point <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, we we aren't a we so cultures what you have right now are all these subcultures that are built on rivalry mm-hmm. right and they have picked a scapegoat in order to hold their their mm. their culture to their particular subculture together mm. um, with the the. There, those are our rivals. Those are our rivals. That's the scapegoat, right? Well, every week we go back and we are reminded that Christ is the scapegoat that undoes scapegoating, right? That undoes rivalry. So it turns enemies into friends, right? The, um, that he, and you, you don't get Western civilization, right? Mass civilization where we're you know you look at somebody like Chaucer who travels to Italy comes back with Italian works translates them into English and you've got this renaissance that's multilingual multi I mean it's across the continent it's makes its way down into Africa right you've got this mm. this renaissance that spreads everywhere you don't have anything of that without the first having Christ break down the us them rivalries that 
all of the tribalism had built that that was there that kept Europe from being a unified whole, right? I mean, I don't even think you get the theory of continents without Christ first breaking down the rivalries right. right that exist, right? So you have Western civilization only because Christ is the scapegoat that undid the scapegoating mechanism that keeps everybody in rival tribes. Right. Mm. We're seeing a return to rival tribes, arguing about how do you how do you restore Western civilization? Um, how do you protect Western civilization, right? Well, the thing is, only dead things rot. Western civilization is dead because by faith, we, we, we've turned away from keeping the covenant, which is kept by faith. Mm-hmm. And, the, um, and that baptismal font is the, the regular reminder when you're, you remember your own baptism, you look at everybody else's baptism, and you remember that there is one covenant, one single covenant that... Um, is actually the defining of all blessings um, and curses, right? And that's the the covenant that that God made through Christ and establishing the new covenant. And the mark of that covenant is baptism. And the way that covenant is kept is by faith, right? That that it that there's no um, there's no mass civilization without that, and um, and there's no returning to Western civilization until we return to the fact that Western civilization is um is is not something that is the it was a blessing from God it was a gift from God and you don't wrench it back into reality you receive it as a gift again you receive it back from the mm. dead uh, you, or, you made me think about numbers where um I'm sorry pastor were you going to jump in no, no, okay you made me think about numbers where I'm going through this with my family we just finished we're now in um, Deuteronomy but in numbers right after they were faithless and God judges them, say, you won't go in the promised land. Their response was, okay, Lord, we'll go do it now. And he's right. like, don't go. Don't go now. Don't go now. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you go now, you're going to die. Don't do that because I already told you not going to go. You're going to die, but you're going to die in the wilderness. You try and fight this one. I think they actually ended up going. Yeah, they got whooped. They charged yeah. In. yeah, and it was yeah. like, and, and that's where it made me think of it. It's like, okay, we, we were faithless. We didn't trust God. And now we're like, okay, we'll go. Okay, and we'll then we're go. going to try and go in our own power, which is kind of what the manosphere is doing. Like, we'll, we'll force our way in here with this. Because, <laughs> like, that ain't going to be it. Yeah. That, don't don't yeah. do that. It, it seems like what these, a lot of these guys are, they're, they're trying to grasp for the old glory. You know, it's sort mm-hmm. of like the, the Edenic glory. Mm. Adam lost it, mm. lost it, and now they have this. And I think these guys are the Tates and all these guys. They're like the angelic cherubim trying to protect access back to the holy place. And mm. what they're missing is that if you go back to that place, it's no longer as holy anymore. Yeah. Mm. Right? So they're saying, oh, I'm going to, they're protecting this great sense of what it means to be, uh, to be, to be a new creation. But the old world has lost its glory. Christ is forming something completely new. Mm. So they want us to go back and Christ is pushing us to a, a better eschatology, a, a better future, because his, his, his Eden is much more magical than the old Eden. And I think um, that's where the the true priests of the new covenant, God's royal priesthood, Peter says, have something more meaningful. But I still think that in many ways the manosphere is really opening a lot of doors for for pastors like us here to yeah to to engage because now the old categories, uh, the old subjective categories have been erased, and these guys are receiving new categories from Jordan, which means their language mm. is more sensical. Yeah, they're more easy to grasp when 
they hear about the Christian message. <laughs> well, <laughs> like Jason said, we got to paganize them first in order for it to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, because, yeah, robots can't get saved, right? You, yeah, exactly. They've been told their whole lives they're robots, they're computers, they're this. And, and now they're like, well, actually, let me tell you about, you know, some, let me tell you about Sophocles. And, yes. you know, even you, like Sophocles can get saved. There's yeah. a space for that. Um, but one of the things that, that I found particularly that, that, that I think is is going to be really interesting is the church is going to have to give up its respectability to go get the men from the manosphere. Mm. Give up its respectability? It's going to have to say, we got lost sheep over there. And that's a, that's a, res, that's a, un, a disrespectable part of town yeah. to go get sheep mm. from. Yeah. Right? The, the, um, and that was, that was clear. Like, this is not um, a church that wants to retain its respectability yeah. and retain its place in the, its voice in the public square, quote unquote, public square um, is going to have to avoid touching the manosphere because mm. the manosphere, but the, but the reality is the church is holy and like Christ touching the unholy, those things, you know, the, the woman uh, who'd been bleeding was healed. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, she became holy, that. right? You know what? We're, you preach that. <laughs> Preacher. Um, okay, sorry. And, but, and I think that the, the church ha- is generally afraid of things like the manosphere because they're afraid we're going to get some of it on us um, rather than thinking, oh, well, we actually have the holy hands of Christ. And when we touch those things, they're made holy. All now they're going to are made clean. Yeah. Yes. But, and, and I think, um, you know, pe- those, those folks brought to repentance, like, cause you look at it, some, at those things and you think, okay. Some of them have their feet pointed in the right direction. Some of them don't. Some, um, some of them, they're going to say something. You know, they're going to say, you know, um, like here. But one of the things I've been, this is one of the things I've been thinking about a lot because he talked to, because um, uh, Nick Fuentes talked a bunch about how uh, in a in a Christian civilization we want good Christians to be our rulers, hmm. right? And uh, and he wants a Christian prince. Yeah, he yeah, he's Catholic. Right. Of course, he does. Yeah, and so and I, and I was and and my first thought was that is going to th- throw off all of my reform brothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they're not going to be able to go with him there, right? Right. And so at, at that point, but but he's not saying anything crazy. But wait, so wait, yet? Wait, wait, hold on. Right? Because yeah. this is because then he ends up saying something crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's not crazy. But that's that, not crazy, right? Yeah, right? At that point, you're like, yeah, and he's like. Which is why we have to get rid of the Jews. <laughs> right. That's that's where. Now, but um, that, but the problem is the um the that first the the first thing that he says, you say you you should be able to say yes, I agree. We should want good Christian rulers in a Christian society, right? That um, but you we don't, don't even. I can't even get Christians to say that. Right. You, that's exactly right. 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 So that's why he's got all of the young men. Yep. And the, the young men are walking away because we're saying, uh, let's not transform this place. And all the young men look at the hammers that God gave them and they're like, oh, I guess this isn't for use here. Right. And right. So they walk away, right? Because they're like, well, I'm ready to build. What are we building? They're like, well, God didn't tell us to build anything here. Right. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, we yeah. walk away. Yeah. Right. So, and then he, he says, hey, let's go build something. But the problem is the, um, in that same sort of way, right. We, we, our concern, the way to rulership is humility, mm-hmm. right? 
the way up is always down in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And what we've got a bunch of Christians saying, well, we don't want to go up. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Which is just a way of going up instead of down. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, right. Reverse. Which right. Is, yeah, we, all we want to do is we, go up. We're supposed to want to go up. And so we go down because God tells us the way up is down. And we say, well, I would rather not go up, Lord, which mm-hmm. is a way of saying I'll just go up instead of down because I won't humble myself. Right. Because uh, I wouldn't want to accidentally receive some sort of authority or power. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, um, all, but then you've got on the other side the folks saying the way up is up. Let's go get them. Right? We've got to go get them uh, because we should, we should have strong Christians in those positions. Now, um, I was trying to work through this with a friend of mine, um, and I said, we should want you know, Christians ruling in, in a Christian society, right? And he said, you're already anti-Semitic. Oh, my. <laughs> I was like, what? He said, because what do you have to say, right? What's the next thing you have to say is... So we have to replace the Jews with Christians. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying anything. Right. Right. We said, but you already, but 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 everybody else understands that logic, right? And so you could be a Jew and be a Christian, I don't understand the problem. Right. And that's but that's exactly <laughs> the thing, right? So this is where the enlightenment, mm. the enlightenment foundations right. have to be dug up. The concrete, we need to take a jackhammer to the enlightenment concrete because that isn't a category, like, because it didn't occur to me that I was saying anything like that because I don't think in those categories. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the scriptures have gone down and pulled up the 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 base of those weeds. Um, he, because the uh, the scriptures don't the 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 category of DNA separation between mm-hmm. races is an unbiblical category. That wall has right? been destroyed. Yeah, that wall has been torn down. Yeah. Um, now the the it's the the it's covenantal sacramental. Right. You got right. that water on you or no? Right. Yeah, like what's, right. that's the only yeah. question we yeah. ask. Yeah. So those are the those are the questions that we marker. ask. It's a f- and then faith, right? The, yeah. the mark is the the. But mark, I already said you got the water covenant. on you or not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But then so so you're dealing in completely different categories. To so that's part of the discipleship process that gets you makes you unrespectable. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to take in the, the young men from the manosphere and work through those things with them, that's going to yeah, take time. Yeah. Well, here's, and here's part of the problem. We are having witch hunts on evangelicals that are willing to do that. Yeah. So let's say for a second, let's just keep it 100. I know you got to run. No, no. So, okay. So, all right. Just tell me when you got to go. Yeah. I will. All right. But let's keep it 100. Kinism is a problem inside of our circle. Yes. Okay. Just keep 100. It's a problem. So what? That's not the only thing that's the problem. Adultery is a problem in our circles too. Yeah, right. but, <laughs> Disobedient children is a problem yeah. in our circles too. We have the same antidote for all the problems. So when a man is dealing, when a pastor is dealing with issues in his church that other people find that are going on, that, that church needs to be able to have some sort of freedom to work through that in a sanctified way, trust in the spirit to work that out. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that we just leave it there. We don't do it. I'm saying that there is a problem. But even dealing with it, we're like, ah, we can't deal with it. Wait, hold on. Everybody needs Jesus. And if, if it's up to me, I especially want the guy who's a chemist to get some Jesus. Okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> I want that guy out there a good pastor. You are very gracious, Chuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm telling you, where else he going to go? Right. Where else he going to go to get some good Jesus? 
Well, I, I, remember, I don't know. I remember Doug saying this was I guess it must be twenty years ago now. Is in this in the cl- the class that was called like the, begin- the intro to wisdom. Right. Go through all the Old Testament passages and look at where they're quoted in the New Testament. Learn how the Old Testament and the New Testament are connected together. It's a life changing class. But I remember it at one point. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he said, um, if you want to lose all the young men in your church, find certain topics and make them off limits. Mm. Right. And he said, in our day and age, the topic most tempting to do that with is race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you make that off limits, you lose all the young men in your church. Yeah. yeah. Now, 20 years later, I'm like, that guy was a prophet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and when people, when I said Ken is just now, you know, what everybody thought about white folks. <laughs> Yeah. Right. But that's that's not that's not the only <laughs> place, not, right? No, no, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's <laughs> Oh my goodness. It's all it's, <laughs> it is mixed uh, in there. Yeah. Go to go to go to some black women and ask them how they feel about their kids marrying they, they daughters marrying white men. <laughs> oh yeah. And and, and and see how how much you, you start talking about kids. I'm just saying it's everywhere and we yeah. all gotta work through it. Oh, yeah. And everybody's like, let's it not is. talk about so it. My my distinction would be in terms of the ideological thing, right? So Jesus had plenty of patience for the uneducated kinists who weren't thinking through the consequences of it. But then the PhD kinists, Jesus had no tolerance. Yeah, yeah, tolerance. (laughs) There were happy imprecations coming from his mouth and he didn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's a prophet and there's a, there's a refugee. Yeah. The disciple and the apostle. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's a good distinction to make. I want, you know, one of the things I've been, we have a book coming out in November on the, the war of the priesthood. It's sort of an exposition of the armor of God dealing with, I'm treating the armor of God in Ephesians six as if it were, uh, as if Paul is borrowing the imagery from a, from a priest. Yeah. In, in Exodus twenty eight, the ordination service of priests. This is going to be a book. Holy place. Oh man, excited. please come back. Let's talk about yeah, it. Can I, we? I would love to. Oh, I can love to. Can we, can we get free? Oh yeah, press oh, absolutely, absolutely. Ooh, absolutely. I didn't even think about good luck on that. Anybody who buys me Thai food gets a free <laughs> okay, copy. Okay, all right, hey. <laughs> but I think the the element you have these great priests, you got the the Tates, the liturgical services, which mm-hmm. you do get your your yeah. hollering and your amens. It's a <laughs> it's a replica of a revivalist uh, yeah. strategy there. And so you get the the belt of truth. This guy seems to be speaking truthful things, even though it may be decorated by all sorts of uh, clever cliches that really are falsehoods ultimately. But then the second element of that armor is the the breastplate of righteousness, which I view if the if truth is sort of the security aspect of the armor, the breastplate is the discerning element, and that's where I think the church can come in. The church comes in saying we do have truth, and we may share some commonalities about the way societies ought to function, the role of man and woman in society. But what these guys can't do is they can't provide a a heart discernment. That they can't see things as they should because they can't pronounce God's good word upon society. Mm-hmm. The good and bad, the the benedictions and the curses they they pronounce don't have don't have Aaron's blessing upon it. So their benedictions are not are not are not blessed by the true priest of of the and certainly not by by our high priest. And so. In many ways, what these guys are doing, and in some ways, they're, they're introducing the armor pieces, but none of these armor pieces, you know, from the shoe to the helmet to the sword, none of these armor pieces uh, come together to form a cohesive unit. And so they're just fragments. It's a fragment of hope here, a fragment of truth, 
um, a, a fragment of salvation, little tiny pieces that are just, they don't come together. It's in a, a Frankenstein. Yeah, and a whole list. It's, it's a schizophrenic armor. And that's why for a lot of these guys, they're comfortable saying, you know, this is, um, it is good for a man to be a man, but it is also a healthy thing for us to build alliances with gay conservatives. Right. Can I, can yeah. I? Can I okay? I want to push just on that a little bit because I'm when you're looking at the kind of bad guy you have to face, I'm looking at the manosphere and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can get them to fight all the feminists. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's working. And I just want I just want to be like in the background while they're fighting all the feminists because that's another battle. And so, is it better to say okay strategically? I I, I don't mind some of this battle because. I would rather deal with these guys who are trying to hold on to objectivity. How and how and how much error they might have is is problematic for sure. Yeah. But I feel like I have an anchor with them where these other folks. I was thinking about this. What Pearl Davis was. What Pearl Davis is doing is like you said earlier. Here's a fact: women can't handle the the amount of physical pain and pressures a man can have, so it's good for them to go build. Feminists go berserk. I'm not going to argue against that with Pearl because I know strong women who that I'm not like, right. wait, wait, wait. it's not gospel. Okay. But I, I believe men are stronger women. They're supposed to be doing oh, great. And so she goes on there and she gets attention and grows her platform because she's saying just basic one-on-one stuff. Right. I'm going to let her fight that. They, they will be co-belligerents in, in many causes. Yeah. So at what point do, do you feel like, okay, we need to probably, because I, I want to sling, I want to, I want to take Pearl and Andrew. I don't want those guys to do their thing over here. And I want to be like, that's great, but that's awesome. And, or, you know, I want to take and use that because no one else is going to create a platform for us to have these fights with. Obviously there are a few people who are going to write the kind of things that Pearl and Andrew outside of Michael, Fo- nobody's mar- making those Eric Khan, Michael Foster, the only guys I know that are making those kind of fights poking at, I don't even like the poking at, but it works. And so they're getting they're gaining a lot of attention out of nowhere for some of us who I've been in the media game for a while. Pearl just shot right up to the top. Yeah. I don't want to have that kind of conversation, but obviously she's gaining some ground. But I want to come on the piggyback and like kind of like some of the chronicles where they came and picked up the spoils after yeah. the wars. It's like <laughs> I didn't fight this one, but I'm benefiting from it, baby. You know what I mean? I kind of want I don't think we even have that mentality. Well, the mentality that the church or evangelicals seem to be having is um Let's attack the backside of the manosphere while they're getting attacked in the front side and sandwich them together as if we're working with feminists. the feminists. Yeah. And I don't want to be that guy. I want to say, oh, here goes another group that I can hitch onto my movement <laughs> instead of being the person who's just darts in the back. You know what I mean? That makes sense. I know we're going to yeah. have disagreements with them. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. But there's a there's a strict strategy here that looks like the way at least the church is, is fighting it. The same way that the feminists are fighting it, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, I, I think. Have I, or have I gone insane? No, <laughs> I think. I think um, when you look at the way they did apologetics, it would, I mean, the Church Fathers was like what four hundred years. So I mean, it's like saying the way that we did apologetics <laughs> and uh, talking about Calvin and and Rush Dooney, like they're the same, you know. Right, but, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's the distance. Yeah. But but they often would say the place where they agreed, um, they would say, Oh yeah, we agree here and then build from that. I mean I when I when I sold my movie Sasquatch, 
um, I ended up on all sorts of like, like on podcasts talking about Sasquatch and mm-hmm. talking about um, like uh, cryptozoology, mm-hmm. right? And I love that stuff. And but that's something else I did not know about. Jason. <laughs> yeah, so, did you know about that? Not so, at all. Cryptozoology. But, but what's what's oh, amazing, boy. right? Is you you begin talking with some of these folks, and it's not they they are open to some to supernatural because of certain things that we agree on in the cryptozoology oh, right, world. Right. And so it's not hard knowing enough cryptozoological information to get to a presentation uh, or to get to scripture, right? Because the world is because exactly the world, we we, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the world has plenty of room for <laughs> right. For you guys just share right? the cosmology. They yeah. just don't know it. Now, there's a kind of cryptozoology that is focused in on aliens, and that's a very difficult way. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to is get to though? the scriptures from aliens. Is I have it? found it. I have not found. I mean, come on, Pastor. Is it? We believe in demons, right? <laughs> so but that's how, that's where everyone goes, and it, I've never seen it work. I've never seen really? it move the conversation towards scripture, t- saying aliens or demons. The most no, no, of, that wouldn't have been a direct path, but I, 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 I would hold that in the back as I have a conversation. Yeah, some people believe that, and that's fine. But I so, but what I've seen is. Um, so like when you're talking with cryptozoological folks, for me, I just go straight to dragons in the Congo, right? <laughs> All the evidence of the dragons still alive in the Congo. And they're like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, that's what I'd love. Cause mm-hmm. I love how, you know, the scripture tells us all these stories about dragons, you know, all throughout the middle East. And you've right. got all these stories and, you know, a dragon all the way back to the devil being a, you know, a dragon in the, gar- yeah, in the yeah. garden. Um, and so you've got a, this. And so I love the fact that there's that we haven't yet killed all the dragons. Mm-hmm. And so we still run into some of them. Right. So mm-hmm. it's an easy, there's an easy That's, way to get very, there. Right. Yeah, yeah, Cause yeah. you're talking to somebody that already believes in Sasquatch mm-hmm. and you guys may or may not know this, but we're just South of Sasquatch alley. So, I know this right? huge so ring. I didn't even hear about I Sasquatch that. Yeah. until just, we moved here. Yeah. I just <laughs> yeah. know about gators. Y'all got a lot of dragons out there. Oh my gosh. That's what you say. Every time I go, I've never even seen one. Every time I don't want to see one. I, it's I true. Don't I don't want to see them. Just like, you know, people are always like, yeah, you got lions that live in your woods. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I've never, no, I don't cool. want to see one. I don't want to see it no. run across a mountain lion. But, but the, but in the same sort of way, I think the manosphere, ha- there are things we have in common. Um, and the, you know, this is the, uh, one of the, the problems I think with what, what you might call, um, young, new Vantillians. Mm-hmm. Right, is that they don't re- they think because people don't understand why they can believe in something that that's where you have to go apologetically. Right, right. You have, um, you, but you immediately go to by what standard? But if you already agree with somebody on something, you don't have to do the pull the by what standard. You don't standard have to keep card. pushing the antithesis. Yeah, right. right? Blasphemy. You have found <laughs> common is, ground immediately. Yeah, y'all so, are blasphemers. <laughs> it's it's wit and and C.S. Lewis does this really well because he'll. Because if you've got common ground, when somebody refuses to acknowledge the common ground, he will pull the antithesis rug out from underneath them in two, three sentences and say, now, of course, if you were, if you refuse to acknowledge this, then there isn't any way for you to have any knowledge at all left. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then and then back on and the then road. move back yeah. to say, but since you don't want to be that guy, right. right, yeah, yeah. right? Um, it's a great rhetorical. Once you've got the common ground though, um, the, the common ground we and it, what's interesting is we used to have some of this common ground with earlier f- versions of feminism, 
right? Uh-huh. When when you're coming out of Victorian chauvinism, the um and the 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 early forms of feminism say. Are we getting in trouble? This is a, no. Know. I'm just thinking, like, as we have common ground with early feminists, I'm like, and coming out of Mel, most of the evangelicals are still inside of the first part of that, so we don't have the disagreement that we know. I know. I know. That's it's what I'm like saying. Like, we're, we're like uh, evangelicalism. Really, it fell in with second wave feminism and right. just swallowed, yeah, yeah. swallowed whole, right? But but when first wave feminism came along, um, it, the it was in response to the faithlessness of Victorian chauvinism, mm. right? And so the, uh, the, 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 as the scientific empirical empiricism um, grew, Darwinism grew at survival of the fittest was growing everywhere. Everybody looked around and said, well, men are stronger. Therefore they're obviously better, more important, right? All, all of that um, that comes with empiricism in a, in a strength based system, right? In a, in a power based system, empiricism, will put men as more valuable than women. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. That's and exactly what's happening right now. Right. And so that happened in Victorianism mm. and, um, and feminism said, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. And you've got a lot of, of um, th- this is when you have, well, this is, that's where um, uh, Dorothy Sayers, yeah. right, are women human? That yeah. essay that we, oh, that's a great essay. Yeah. It's a great essay. Right. So where you say, oh yeah, she's, a, she's not arguing for feminism. She's arguing for, for a historical understanding of a, a historically Christian understanding of men and women. Yeah. But when you read that, so coming out, just being in the culture, when you read, um, I want to say, ain't I woman, it's not what, uh, our women are human. Yeah. It hits you really hard. Like feminism. Mm-hmm. If, if you're just a traditional evangelical and you read that, you're like, she's a feminist. And you, so you you take Dorothy, you're like, I see what she's fighting against, but it's like, this opens the door for all kinds of stuff. You know, then you're going to start letting women vote. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'm, but she does hit you odd, you know, when you first read it. And it made me have to check myself in some areas real quick. Yeah. I'm sorry, Pastor. What you say? No, that's great. That's great. I think, you know, feminism is sort of a response to Jane Austen in many ways. And, mm. you know, in, in, in. Oh, wow. In, you got to work in, that out. In the world of feminism. What you have is the, their identity given by God, and that means that women are weaker vessels. And weaker vessels are constantly in a position of being protected. And so feminists have looked at history and have said, we have been protected. And to be protected means we don't get a place at the crowning event. Right? We, don't, we don't talk about all the people who are protected. We just talk about the protectors. The protectors are the men. And women said, we have to change that narrative. We mm. need to receive glory. And so what, oh. what happened in their case is they forgot that God has designed them to be glory. And so exactly they for, they've they forgotten yeah. their role. And so as a result, they don't view the role of being protected as a role that is, is given to them as, as female. And that role is the role that is regarded uh, by God as um, a role that provides weightiness to your identity. You're somebody that is protected by God just as all human beings are protected by God. And so women, in many ways, are the glory of men because women have a position, unlike men, a position of, uh, a position of, being, of being protected, and, and that protection is their identity. So women are protected, mm. they are weaker vessels, and the status of weaker vessel happens to be the strongest of all status because now they know that their role is, some, is valued by their status. 
and and this is and and this is exactly what hap- what happened in the Victorians era is the the men instead of being a bridge through which glory passed to women they it stopped with them right right and so when um when women are being protected and they are the the vessel of glory that's yeah. being protected then as the as men go off and achieve glory they pass it along to the women and and so it's incorporated in this federal theology right exactly that, fe- that federal is theology glory. is what went away what you lose with empiricism mm. because the covenant is invisible right deuteronomy 2929 yeah secret things secret things, secret yeah. things um, belong to the lord but the covenant to us and to our children right that the the covenant isn't something that you go off and say, oh, he, I can see it in my DNA, right? Or you know, it's um, it's this, it's the it's the substructure or the superstructure uh-huh. maybe um, behind everything. And so, empiricism says, well, if I got the glory, then I should hold on to it. Why would I give it to her? She didn't win it. Mm-hmm. I went off and won it. But she actually won it for her. That's the whole mm-hmm. purpose, right? The, um, and so you started getting. Literally, they, you started getting wars started so that men could go off and prove themselves. And now that's a pay, that's the pagan understanding. Pagans would start wars so that men could go get glory, and then and then that went away, right? The you bring it back to the home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. The the um, C.S. Lewis's book, The Allegory of Love, is all, is all about this. Right? That that you um, violence even was shifted in its meaning by by Christianity as it spread. Right, so violence no longer had a glory in and of itself. It depended on what was behind it. Mm. Right, it the sword. Whereas in the ancient world, the violence was in and of itself glorious. Right, if you you um the the you you see Achilles literally going off. He he's the most glorious. He has the most glorious because he's the most violent. Yeah. Right, and when he finally gets um over himself being offended, uh. And goes well, you out just to war. It. You just spoiled it for me. Thanks, Jason. Thanks. And Go ahead. Literally, I mean, even fights back um, the the uh, the sub deities, right? That that he's so violent that even some of the god creatures back up. <laughs> They're like, whoa, right. whoa, right, right. right? So the violence is the glory. Well, by the time you get to you know um, France in the twelve hundreds, thirteen hundreds, England. Um, the the stories they tell the violence is only glorious if you're defending a woman, right? If there's no woman behind you, if there's no children behind you being defended, what is it even? Then the violence, the violence. There's is, no rationale for aggressiveness. <laughs> yeah, right. If there's no one, if there's no one for whom you're bringing home the glory, right? Right. Then, um, then the the glory is actually shame, right? Right. So that's why you get the dark nights that are out just doing violence with nothing to defend. Yeah. Or maybe they've kidnapped um, they've kidnapped uh, some women and they're holding them hostage. Right. That violence is now um, a shame. Yeah. Right? And so you've, you've still got the, the glory and the shame, but now instead of it being attached to winning the fight and losing the fight, it's attached to why is it fought? Yeah, you can just fight and lose and still end up with the glory yes, if you and, fought and this and is the, for a the, woman. The, the mistake, I think, of of unbelievers in their apologetic endeavors against the church. They don't understand why holy wars, why, why violence is because violence is a covenantal thing that God commands the people of God to do. Right. 
And that's why people are so evangelicals are afraid of imprecations because this idea of breaking the teeth of the wicked, <laughs> oh Lord, you know, Psalm chapter 3. But violence existed in the old covenant because that was the way men went, brought glory back home, and that glory was passed on to their children and their children's children. So violence was a way of continuing God's covenant promises to a thousand generations. It was necessary and it brought glory back home. So every time God's people won war, they brought the spoils and they said, our kingdom is now getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as the kingdom increased, God said, now it's time to break down the walls of partition. We can't contain this thing in the little plot of land in the Middle East. It has to go beyond the borders of Israel. As you guys are talking, I'm finding, I'm, I'm still in, I had to write down time, I'm still in what you were saying earlier about the, um, I can't even remember now. I just wrote down the time because I'm, short memory but i'm gonna still just know something that you said here that knox is gonna take and act like he said it uh, <laughs> <laughs> just know that uh jason's used to it so i don't have to tell him anymore. <laughs> but it's just called learning yeah <laughs> that's exactly what it is although some people i'll leave that alone i'm just saying uh but there is a way now rhetorically to have this conversation with people who are embracing manosphere there's such a masculine push on it to take glory and to not put it in the place where it can produce fruit and grow is gay. Yeah. <laughs> right? And if you're going to be a if you're going to be a man, a real man, yes, you go and you take glory to give it to your wife. Right. So that she can be fruitful with this and be like David said with the pillars of our society in Psalms he says this, right? And so she takes glory, she's the only one who can actually bear glory in this manner and produce fruitfulness from it. In your hand it rots. It doesn't produce anything. Right. Right. You can gather it, but then you give it to your wife. Yeah. And to not do that, not to have a wife, not to invest this type of glory in your wife and your children is to be, in a sense, gay because you're not fruitful. This is just a, uh, a pastoral observation. But one way to sort of test that theory is to if you have these guys who are very much on the public square, they're speaking their mind, they opine about everything. And I walk into their home on a, sun, on a Sunday night for a pastoral visit. The wife is cowering in the corner, mm. right? That's a sign that's gone. Or the, wow. other, the other proof of that would be if, if, if a wife is fearful of playing with her husband. Mm. Right? Chesterton says we should be like angels because they you know, treat themselves lightly. And so if a wife is fearful of playing with her husband, that's man, you know, manosphere gone wild. Mm. That's, not a, that's not the kind of manosphere that is, is, a, is a reflection of the Genesis account. It's a manosphere that is shaped by the theme of judges. They're doing what's right in their own eyes only for their purpose, not for glorifying the home. Because mm. when there's when they bring glory to the home, the kids welcome daddy when they come when he comes back home. Right? They are eager to see daddy. They're eager to have a space at the table for daddy to sit down. Mm. When that doesn't happen, and that means that we have a, a twisted form. You just my, made me have to repent. My yeah, I actually was gonna say the same thing. You know, yeah. because yeah. my kids run out as soon as I get home. Yeah. So you think it's the same thing? I yeah. have to repent. Lord, you just made me repent. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, that's a blessing. My kids, they well, they come out and they run home. And they hug me, and I'm like, all right, like let me get in the house a little bit first. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm gonna run home and be like, hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> and I usually I get home, we're having a great time, but I'm I'll, usually like, let me get out the vehicle. They're at the door knocking on the glass. <laughs> hey, what you doing in there, daddy? You got any food? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was just thinking about how crabby. I was at dinner last night. Oh, man, I got to ask my kids to forgive me. And it's like the ones that were there, at least. Those blessings you take for granted, but you, you know, it's so. 
There's so many blessings that we take for granted. We've been going through numbers and um, Leviticus. We take so many blessings for granted. God is constantly giving it outpouring of blessings like that. And I just noticed, like, I take that for granted. Shame on me. Yeah. Shame on me. And and this is a blessing from God, you know? uh, We're seeing, it's one more observation, just one final observation. I think we're seeing a a prospering of this, this biblical didactic model. We're seeing men in the secular and the sacred spheres growing. And because they're all growing at different levels, because uh-huh. they're all yeah. they're all going to unique confessional booths, right? Whether it be Andrew Tate's confessional booth, they're all going or, or Papa Peterson. Yeah. They're going to all these confessional booths and they're getting different sort of absolutions from these priests. But they're all at different levels. And I think we need to, you know, I think the sons of Issachar, they saw the times. It wasn't just that they saw, hey, this is gonna be really bad 20 years from now. I think what they saw was which battles are worth fighting at that moment. Yeah, no, so right. if, if we're seeing all these, and that's what they are, they're all, they're all in the grammar stage of history. They're all yeah. infants, and they're all grown to different stages. And for let's say most of us in our, who've been who've been in the church for over 20, 30 years, what, what we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of immaturity. But that's what you expect from infants, <laughs> and so we should be able to say Andrew Tate is a secular infant who is attempting to apply some level of of uh, of covenant life into the world he lives in. He is an infant, and so we should expect him to do the kinds of things. Infantile he, things. He's yeah. going to pee on himself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and we should say, good for you, my man. I'm glad that's where you are. He's stage. getting potty trains. But you I, I, really, you know, I really hope you're not there five years from now. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. That's really that's good. A, yeah, what, what, what I was going to say doesn't have anything to do with that, but I like that. Yeah, this is. I was going to say, my wife always says that the um, the easiest way to figure out uh, how the marriages in the church are all doing is to just play some um, church picnic volleyball, (laughs) co-ed volleyball. (laughs) Look around for the the wife that will say, "Well, I'm not playing on my against my husband's team. I know what he's going to do." Or put the elders around. I'm going to test these guys. These are my future officers in the church. (laughs) I I have a friend in Minneapolis. Mike and when we, my wife and I got married. Shoot, we've known Mike before I got married. Actually, I was living on his couch. Um, I moved out of my place and stayed on his couch for a while until Sharon and I got married. And so he had a chance to see our relationship in the beginning. This is 19 years ago now, 18, 19 years ago now. I can't believe that. Anyway, I remember Mike looking at me and saying, Man, you and Sharon are unicorns. And every like five years, he's like, "Y'all still married, huh?" <laughs> it's like there isn't an option for us to be alive yeah. and not married. Right. I just want you to know that <laughs> we both know what happens if this goes south. We yeah. ain't living. That's yeah. the covenant yeah. we made. Yeah. And so, and he, but he's looking and he's saying, "That's odd. I'm not used to seeing that." And it brings me back to Titus three or Titus two, Titus two, Titus two, yeah, yeah, at the end of it. And so it's there isn't somehow. And I think this goes back to social media. I was talking about this on the show. We have an outworking of so much junk from the left, from the transgender community on social media. It is everywhere. And not only is it everywhere, but we share all of the trans stuff. We share all the Dilvin, uh, Dilvin Mulvaney, Dilvin Mulvaney. Yeah, stuff. we make sure we it's make everywhere. sure it's everywhere. We share. How could they? And it's every, we see it. And then the next drag show, we're sharing that. And it's like, and you haven't shared one great cooking show. 
<laughs> you haven't posted one beautiful thing about your family that other people get to share. You haven't, what's the new words your kids, you're, you're not sharing the beauty. It's not obvious. So all this stuff that we are talking about feels like a unicorn to the culture, but it's out there. It yep. exists and it's in, it's, in an, it's in a potent form. And part of what we have neglected to do, uh, Pastor Toby talked about this, is let our light shine. We got these self, Pastor, you've been here for almost two weeks now. And let me tell you, there's pictures, almost three or four pictures every day <laughs> of you hanging out with folks, had hung on this person, ate here, did this. And it's been so fun to watch and to partake of. Um, and I've shared it and liked it because I'm like, I'm not liking the other trash. I'm not engaging right. with it. I want to see the beauty of things. Yeah. And we're not doing a good job. Yeah. Uh, even because our our areas that are insulated from some of this trash means that we get to shoot bullets outside of us, mm. right? Yeah. Because we have insulation. We can shoot and hit targets. Shoot the family out. Shoot the baby walking. Let everybody see these. Make some, <laughs> shoot the baby walking. <laughs> Film the baby walking. Film, film the baby Don't walk. shoot the baby. That is not. <laughs> you are, you are pro life. Live yeah. stream the baby walking. Live stream the baby walking. <laughs> Film. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm I got you. I got you. Okay. Got you. Right, yeah. I, I was trying to hold it together. No. I you man. you I guys, it. Yeah. stop it. Film these things what? and put them out there. And let. I mean, it's so beautiful. Let people share the beautiful things. And we don't have enough of that content out there for us to share. I go through my feed and let me tell you, I don't see families. Yeah. I don't see the beauty in the home. I don't see that. I love of following people who are smoking and making food, right? Right. right. Smoking food and meat and that stuff and putting it, I'll share that stuff. I like that stuff. I post that stuff. I want people to partake and eat good wines, you know, um, put those things on social media. So people have other things culturally to share and folks don't think it's unicorn world out there. Yeah. I, I second that. Completely. I, I think just one element, I think that the, the social media has provided us a kind of a free platform to display the good, the true, and the Amen. beautiful. We are missing a lot of that. I don't know why. It may, it may be a, um, you know, just a, people have accepted Wendell Bear into their hearts. I, I, don't know, I don't know what's going on. But there, there's a fear of displaying the good, true, and beautiful. And I think people ought to be so much bolder about these things, especially the Christian community. And honestly, this has been the, the phenomenon of our age. That social media has been one of the biggest drawing points to our kinds of reformed bodies. Mm. Because people are yeah. seeing, they're saying, um, I'm here in my place. Um, I've walked into this building. I've been here for three months. I've received maybe one half-hearted invitation for a dinner. Right. And I come in this congregation, and I'm seeing these guys having fun, having Pentecost picnics, right. roasting lambs. They're, having, they're enjoying communion, fellowship. They're doing stuff like psalm roars. What's that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love, that's what you guys call them? Yeah. Yeah. Man. yeah. <laughs> yes, psalm roars. I was, I was, we were, uh, in the early days I was doing this, and I, I started at the congregation. I said, let's do a, a, a wine and psalm sing. And my old uh, mentor, Sunday school teacher, James B. Jordan, said, well, Yuri, that's just silly. God's people don't just sing the psalms, they roar. <laughs> oh, I love that. And that's how it, the <laughs> culture, okay. that's how it began. It's been replicated in other countries, other states around the But he was your Sunday school teacher? He was my Sunday school teacher and my pianist too. Ah, oh, you guys are so blessed. <laughs> we we were you very guys blessed. Are so it was blessed. A, it was a, a joyful season. But again, social media I think ought to display these things, which are the very virtues I think of Christendom. Yeah. Well, I, I do think we're we are known as the Reformed Church is known for what it criticizes right now. <laughs> right. I yeah. mean that, Everybody that's, criticizes. What do they criticize? Well, and we criticize everything. Right? Yeah. So, um, and if somebody criticizes all the time, 
I stopped taking them seriously. I'm like, I don't even know what you like. You don't like any, your criticism means nothing. Cause you're not, I don't know what you're fighting for, right? It's the, you're, um, it's the violence for violence sake. This is the old Doug Wilson line, right? If you have to have money in your bank account mm. in terms of you have to build a, a history of constructivism before you can become an ass to the nations. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you enter the world of criticism, you better have a foundation of encouragement yeah. and edification behind it so you can be treated seriously. Yeah. Well, this, is what, this is what my mom used to say, right? Ten, say, you better say 10 nice things for every criticism you say, or no one will listen to your criticisms. Yeah, that's fair. And, and that's just grandma. That's just grandmotherly wisdom that it, and it echoes all the time. I think about it all the time. Yeah. Right. Am I, you know, am I, um, somebody that is putting on display, here's the things I love. And so when I say ah, that right there, I don't like that people hear hatred being poured down upon right because you're so positive all the time that you can just say like eh, don't like that and that's all it takes for everybody to think that's something that he hates oh, right. <laughs> right so that when you really need i mean it's the same it's the same with curse words you know if you if you never if you never swear then you've got that in your back pocket if you need to be taken seriously right right but if you swear all the time yep. then you know you have no way yeah. to there's no there's no way to notch it up those words those four letter words lose the gravitas. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, and that's, you know, I'm, so I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've taken so much of your time up. I enjoy having you on the show and talking with you, but I know that you were supposed to be gone 30 minutes ago. No, we're good. My absolute you, pleasure. It's okay. Been, you can, good right. to be here. I got a, a few more minutes if you want to continue. Yes, I do. Of Let's course. Go. I got about 20 more minutes. Oh, really? I, Don't go. play with yeah. me, man. Let's go. Right. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> Oh man, do you do you? Um, I know we talk about ministry. Do you want you want to talk about Christian nationalism at all? If, if Jason's <laughs> up for it, first of all, tell the world what drink we just had at that Thai place because I think the world needs to know. Oh, it was a Thai yeah. tea. It was just a Thai tea. It was a Thai tea. Yeah. Thai uh, so tea. The, the, I think it it's was, like it a was, chai, and then it's uh, I think it's chai put in there. Some some black like a black tea. Some people do a black tea as well, yeah. but then use condensed milk and uh, oh, something else that they mix the together. Condensed milk. That's yeah. what magic. They do some. They do something else. So they can do multiple ways to do it. But yeah, it was it was it, it was it was one of those things where you drink it and you think, oh, <laughs> I, I I didn't know. <laughs> I thought yeah, you yeah. guys knew about it because no, you guys never had one. No, I, oh. I love you, you eat that spice and you're yeah. like. If I go to Sheol, thou art there. <laughs> yeah. And then you come back and you have all this glory yeah. in this drink. That's like, right. aha, uh, this will heaven taste like. Okay. So but wherever it. I go, God is there. Yeah. But I don't know if without the spice, it would. It doesn't work uh, the same way. It would work the same uh, way. Right. Because it, it was the best. I was like, because I'm, I mean, I, I drink, I have something spicy. It doesn't even have to be super spicy. <laughs> and, you know, I turn red and. Start sweating like start a sweating and yeah, yeah, sweating like a southern Southern Baptist preacher. <laughs> yeah, so and you, and then you have that tea and it's, it's so yeah. refreshing. It is very refreshing. So the, yeah, so you know, milk is what kills spice, right? So if you have something really really hot in your mouth and you're like you're burning, you don't drink water. Everybody knows that you right, drink right. milk, right? Yeah. And so the Thai you know, tea is designed. You know, I grew up in Spokane, right? So I didn't grow up with spice. Ah, right. They were like black pepper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> So the rule is, you get something. This is your habanero. Yeah. It's so, just black that's pepper. It, black pepper. <laughs> it's not black like us in Canada where they're like bell peppers are spicy. You know, I was at least oh, black yeah. pepper. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, you you want something hot? Um, a friend of mine taught me this. A Korean friend of mine taught me this. Actually, he's like, so you you 
he took me to a Thai restaurant. He's like, so you get a Thai tea and you get the hottest thing there because that's where all the flavor is, is in the hot, the heat, yeah. different flavors. He said, so the way that people survive is that they take the Thai tea and the Thai tea comes down the spice so you can enjoy another bite. And now I know. Said another bite. Yeah, I, so I love, it makes the meal taste different. Neutralizes the mouth. And yeah. Like, okay. Bite uh, number seven. It's like it's like I, I like teaching um, young men how to use tobacco. Yeah. Ooh. Because you get to walk them through, like, let me explain how this works and all this, and um, and there's a lot to learn. But right. like, um, you know, show you how to how to cut a cigar, right? But then explain how, or you know, how to pack a pipe or whatever. And but then once you get smoking, you can gauge if you're talking too much if your cigar goes out you're talking too much right mm. it's a good way to learn how to gauge am i talking am i wait what am i dominating the conversation right it's a it's a tool for a young man to learn it. but if you know if if but if it's getting too hot you know if my if the the pipe stem is getting hot right yeah. i'm puffing too hard the bowls too i hot. probably need to ask a question mm-hmm. and put myself in and say like wait I'm not talking enough, right? Like I'm, I'm retreating, right? And it's a, it becomes a tool to help young men learn the art of conversation. I like that, right? And, um, and there's so many things that don't get passed along um, to young men because the uh, the arts of masculinity have mostly gone by the wayside, um, and some of that's because you know we don't have the Wendell Berry view of free, did you know this free time you. You and Joffrey wrote the literally wrote the book. Yeah, we, wait, we, wait, we, y'all wrote a book to, on this? On Christi- on it's a small uh, book. Book is called um, "An Introduction to Holy Incense: <laughs> The Art, the, the Art of Pipe Smoking." Yeah, which I thought it was. It was uh, here's an interesting thing in 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 my country, Brazil. There is it, it was a you know still drinking and tobacco sort of viewed through fundamentalist eyes. So yeah, the evangelical population don't do any of these things. When Joffrey and I published that little book, which is probably over 10 years ago, it was translated into Portuguese, and suddenly dozens and dozens of Facebook pages were created in Brazil for introduction to pipe smoking. Right? And Joffrey, of course, is much more accustomed, much more um, skilled in, in this art here. What I do find amazing is that th- there is something to a, a worldview that allows you to think creatively and to think do- yeah. in, in a sense of dominion, right? Because now... There are certain things that are off limits, but then there are things that you ought to explore that provide sort of uh, healthy patterns and rhythms and rituals to the life, to the life of a Christian. And in many ways, what they perceive to be an evil is actually the kind of thing that's going to restructure the Mm. life of that young man. So you think of cigarettes. You think of cigarettes, which is just this quick consumption, this Mm -hmm. McDonaldization of, of, of a smoke. You want something fast. You think of the the cigar which you see in all the great mafia movies, yeah. right? Right, the great um, movie. The guy who, yeah, exactly. The, the guy who controls his environment. He walks into a place and he suddenly he conquers the masses just with his very presence. And then the pipe, obviously, throughout history, has been sort of identified with with priest? um, with priestly figures. Mm-hmm. With really, kind of Gan- I guessed it. Gandalf figures yeah. that are, are yeah. constantly offering Solomonic wisdom to the nations, and it really is interesting. I mean, I don't know how you think about this, Jason, but. These are identifying markers of personality. I can almost at this point, almost with a high degree of certainty, sort of understand more about people by how and what they smoke. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, so I, I spend a lot of time in cigar lounges as when I travel for work. Yeah. And it's you walk in and you immediately 
know, and it's what they're smoking and drinking, you can tell who's in charge of the room. Huh. Right? And so I go sit next to that person. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Because you think, I want to meet all these people. Yeah. I like meeting people. Yeah. Um, me too, me too, and man. Here's, here's the thing. Most cigar lounges, I'm the only, like Marcus and I are the only white people there. Really? Yeah. So you tra- you travel around, and so you look around, and you, who's who's the guy that, who's the gatekeeper? And what it, kind of cigar lounges are y'all going to? Uh, You're the only white guys there. <laughs> to, going to Miller, da- huh? I mean, Dallas, um, everywhere except New York, right? So New York, right? The um, and that's probably just because I was in the wrong part of town <laughs> to find the, the, the cigar shop that I actually want, which is the one where I'm the only white guy. Um, I found the 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 uh, the bookstore where I was the only white guy, uh, but in New York, but but in but you go in, you look around, and you think, okay, that's the guy that he's got he's he's got the bottle and the um and usually the big long cigar and he's sitting such that you know this is the guy that if if I can get on his good side he'll introduce me to everybody he's else. He's the elder of the gate. Right, he's the elder at the gate. Um and uh sometimes it's the guy that's running the shop and but it's it's usually not. Uh-huh. Uh but but uh yeah, I mean and I have I mean, I love it. The cigar cigar lounges are magical because it's all men. It's the only place uh, left that is still, it, masculine. still masculine, right? Yeah. So, and the men there are there, especially if you're on if you're doing business. There are men that are there because they don't want to be someplace where they might accidentally commit adultery and or be thought to have, right? Oh, so interesting. So they tend to be, um, you know, there's a lot of men traveling for work and they're in these spots where there's not going to be any women, mm-hmm. and so there's there's not going to be even any illusion that maybe you ended up accidentally in the background of somebody's picture, and it looked like you were with a woman, you know? Any like yeah, because they kind of have their own bars there, they, they have got, their alcohol, yeah. they have their, and right. it's mostly men. That's a good. It's point. all men. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all men. I've been to one in Tennessee where there was a lady running the 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 setup. The, yeah, and it I, was and it was very intentional, mm-hmm. right? It was very intentional. There was because the guy there was a guy there too. But it was very intentional that she was running all of it. Yeah. Right. And, with, it, and it was awkward. For the All tips. the guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. And all the guys I watched. And, and I didn't know what was going on until you said it framed the difference. Like, oh, yeah. The, every guy. They went and they went and all smoked outside. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, weird. Interesting. And, huh. Because it was, you're looking wow. for. So. But. And what's really interesting is generally very conservative because only conservative people are still looking for masculine spaces. Right. And. um <sighs> And so, I mean, if I was planting a church in a town, I would start there. Mm. That's what I would, I would go to, I would find the cigar bar and say, that's where I'm going to start planting my church because. Okay. This is interesting. This is interesting. So I wasn't going, sorry guys. I had to stand up for a second to stretch out a little bit. Um, it, I, so we're doing the fight left East conference, October 11th through the 14th at the Ark encounter in Kentucky. And someone who doesn't, know who we are they, they came up and was like are you guys gonna have beer there because our opening night is beer and psalms right. and i knew the question what kind of person i was dealing with and um i responded and gave him the answer of course yeah this is what we do but i was thinking deep a little deeper about this how do you a group of people who are coming to mass find masculinity who are rejecting all the libations and the smoking because that's secular and that's worldly how do you invite them into a different culture and 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 not necessarily um, force them into it, but then invite them to be take part of it. I think you do exactly that. You combine it with singing. 
Mm. Combine it with something familiar. If they're, you know, a, a lot of this is this is sort of borrowing from Robert Capon. When you think about Robert Capon, doesn't present here's cheese. No, here are seventy five kinds of cheeses. Here's wine. No, there's seventy five kinds of wine that pair well with all these things. And so I think one of the failure of the that, fundamentalist world. That's an offering of uncles. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. great book. Great book. All right. All right. Um, one, I need to one of the failures of these cultures that the evangelical culture, one of their failures is that they, they, um, they provide this very incomplete picture. And so it becomes plain, yep. tedious, boring. Beer equals alcohol. But what if we talk about varieties, layers? God doesn't say, here is a bird. Here is one animal. He creates variety, diversity. And so mm. when you beautify the language of what you're about to experience, it, I think it opens up at least a little bit the palate for these guys to say, huh, so you're going to sing psalms and drink beer? Now, that's a combination. I that's, a, that's not a recipe I expected from you, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. When somebody says, hey, do you smoke, right, you say, "What smoke what? what yeah, exactly, yeah. Right, but which... Like, yeah, it's not. You, know, all... you, you don't. It's not. Um, yes or that's not a yes or no question because yeah. there's plenty of things I don't smoke. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Um, now, and depending on, and it's not like, like I don't generally smoke cigarettes, but it's not that they're, it's not because they're off the table because there are some nice cigarettes that you know, but and there's but there's also situations in which, um, the a a cigarette is the right choice. Because you, it gives you a gospel opportunity, right? Like if you, you if it's you know, a, a, there, there's an, mm. a place where somebody says, "Hey, man, you want to smoke?" And you look around and you say, "Oh, I'd love to." Can I tell you about Jesus while we smoke? Yeah. This gives me three minutes. Yeah, yeah. Right? you got a captive audience; he's not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. So grab yeah. the presentation yeah. down. Yeah. So then, do you think that it's intentional that a lot of the you got since the the, the um, the teetotaler movement that happened, you have, um, what was it, 1919 when we lost all of alcohol? or when we got Prohibition. It back? Yeah. Prohibition. But you think it's intentional that there's been an attack against tobacco and alcohol? Yeah, it's a, it's a part of the attack against masculinity, right? It's an, it, and it was, there's a, a, the, this was the problem with feminism, right? This is why we, this is one of the reasons that, besides the ontological errors that were made um, amongst the, especially second wave feminists, but the early feminists um, wanted to, um, they, they went after the symbols of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And so prohibition is a major part of that. And that was an early way that the church became, it was willing to effeminize in order to win the, um, the people around them. I w- th- that's fantastic. I will say, you know, the prohibitionist movement created the mafia. Yeah. The mm. evangelical prohibitionist movement has created their own mafia also. And these evangelical elites are very happy to tell us what to do, what victimhood status to play. <laughs> yeah. They are a mafia to themselves. And so we, we, we would call them, right? They're, they're Big Eva. They truly are an industrial complex created out of these, the, these hindrances and prohibitions, which God never gave. So when you create your own prohibitions, you're going to create a group of, of, of tyrants, I don't even say nothing after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's insane. And it's why you have to, you, I, I think that we have a, an, a, 
a duty as the church to cleanse the things that people have been told are unclean. Huh? Mm. Right? That's that's one of the that's things what that we do. Do, right? that's what priests Sanctify do. Priests sanctify it. Yeah. Right? When when um, when Saint Augustine of Canterbury wrote back to uh, the the Bishop of Rome at the time um, and said, Gregory. Yeah, Gregory. He said, Gregory. He said. The, these people keep bringing sacrifices because <laughs> right, right. they don't rem- they don't know what to do. Yeah. We've told them there's been a sacrifice, and they say, "Hooray! Here's an animal. <laughs> here's Let's ours. sacrifice it." And and Gregory wrote back and said, "Build a barbecue out front." Yeah. And and um and when they bring the sacrifice, roast it, and have a church picnic afterwards, <laughs> and teach them that their their God they no longer serve a God that takes from them, but serve a yeah. God that gives. Ooh, I like right. that. They I've heard this. sanctified. That's so he 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 said this this thing needs to be put back into its proper place. And that's what the church does. So, and um and you you, you we just, don't think like that no more. No, we don't think. We don't even have. I don't even think that would have crossed our mind to be like. So what do we do with this? You say we'll send them away because they're obviously not converted yet. <laughs> yeah, we need, a, we need a, a Paul Washer sermon. They don't get it. Right? Like, I'm know, talking I, I, about you. You, yeah, that's exactly right. Stop bringing animals. I was like, no, no, no. Have a barbecue. Throw a festival. Throw right? a festival. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. But so, and then and then other times you need to cut down Thor's oak. Right. Like sometimes right. Yeah. Exactly. Like there's it's a wisdom issue as to which because they're trusting. It's the breastplate yeah. thing. It's the discernment. Um, yeah. Aspect of the world. There. So, is that because of the urim and the thum that the yeah, I think, yeah, breastplate yeah, the the Urim and Thuman, they um, they provide the will of God to the people, and so these kinds of mystical ways of achieving wisdom was the way of the old covenant scriptures. It was this sort of God spoke and man followed those principles, and so it's a difficult thing because when you're in the grammar stage of history, mm. you know, there's not much you're not looking. There's not much incentive to discern. Discern things because God is speaking directly to you. But as humanity grows up, then suddenly the Urim and Thummim becomes embodied in a person, and that person says, "I have a book." And now you have to look at the book and say, "How do I discern the world before me?" So the human beings become embodied Urim and Thummims. They become discernment um, people dressed with discernment. Yeah. Which is, was, which is, go ahead. Oh well, I was I was thinking that because one of the things is if you're going to go out. And take up things in a sanctifying way. I, I was, as I was, I was thinking, you've got to actually really know the scriptures. You though. really do, because exactly. yeah. it's because the, the word of God has a cleansing effect on things, right? So I, this is one example of a, a guy. You a, have to be a theonomist. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you have to love. He's got to get this in at least, get, once. at least once. Hey, just show. poke me once. Yeah. Out of ribs. You have to have. You know, people have life verses in Philippians. You have to have a life verse in Exodus 28. <laughs> yeah. What's you your no life verse? <laughs> Um, two at the par bar, four at the par bar. That's my life verse. No, so, um, the, the, we, I, w- I would say you have to. Um, so, like, I, I was thinking about, um, you know, there's a, a a young guy that was, um, you know, sta- standing outside of a building and lighting up a cigarette. And I went over and he offered me one. I said, oh, yeah, I would love one. Thanks yeah. so much. Um, do you know Jesus? <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> right, but, but he's stuck, right? Because he's got he's on a smoke break or whatever. He's got, he's, I just started he's, he's a like, cigarette. Started a cigarette, and so and he was in it. Um, and he was like, "Man, he's like, but look at you." He said, "You're, you're, um, isn't your body a temple of the Holy Spirit?" And here we are smoking a cigarette, defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And I, and I said, I'm so glad you brought up that verse. That <laughs> verse is actually about sexual immorality. Do you have problems with sexual immorality? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I, like yeah, if, you know, six, yeah. Yeah, if you know that verse, what that verse is saying is don't sleep with a prostitute before you go because right. then you're bringing, you're joined with that prostitute and then you're bringing it and joining to the people of yeah. God, right? You don't want to be that kind of uh, influence. And, but, but if you don't know the scriptures, right? Then you're then you're going to find yourself in those situations, and you're not ready to uh-huh. to to spread the cleansing. Now that now the reality though is, if you don't ever throw yourself into those situations, you don't learn what things you don't know. You don't. Right? So yep. you just so you jump in, and and if you get flummoxed in an evangelistic encounter, then you say you walk away and say, "Whoo, Lord, thank you for that. I got some studying to do, and now I know." Yeah. Where, exactly. Exactly. Right? It's not a you you didn't. If, you didn't mess up if the person doesn't walk away. And really what you're doing, saved. you're saying, yeah, you, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, and within the temple, there's lots of incense. <laughs> yeah, so right. come smoke in my temple. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, always, that's always the invitation. So, um, <laughs> but, the, but it's always the... Corny Christian conversion <laughs> line. <laughs> you can use those. The Calvinist uh, pickup line. Yeah. Calvinist pick up like, line. <laughs> but, yeah, but... Um, you know, it's so good. <laughs> it is so good. But because there's there's so few, but there's so few doors to relationships with men in our society uh-huh. um, that if we're going to say to the world, well, those six out of seven we don't use, uh-huh. um, even though God says they're okay, like it's not good for my testimony or whatever, um, which is an effeminate thing to say. I think generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if you, but if you say, I'm not going to use those doors, then what you're saying is most men are not important to the church, mm-hmm. right? Because they're, they're through those doors, and those doors are disrespectable, unrespectable doors. So what you do is you say, you know what? The, our man's group is going to buy a very nice bottle of Belvini, the 200, and, <laughs> and you're going to say Belvini and Jesus on Tuesdays, Right. And only have room for seven, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're going to sit up there. It's like, here's my evangelistic tool. And I do it all, and twice a month. <laughs> that's, and that's where I'm spending my, my, I'm taking some of my tithe and spending it here for evangelism. All right, here we go. Uh, we can do that, right, Pastor? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm listening. <laughs> yes. I'm doing the sign of the cross as we, that, for yes. those who can't see us. But I, yeah. Was that Deuteronomy 14 that you can spend part of your time? That's on what the I was thinking. Of, yeah. <laughs> whatever your heart desires, whatever your heart desires, and, and and see and have those men show up and find you seven men or however many you can split that bourbon with, and figure it out and talk to them about Jesus, and then do the same thing with good cigars, right? And there's another process here too that I'm learning, which is I realized that as a man, one of the things that I wasn't discipled well to do, not having a father there, was how to handle dangerous things. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so in this process, you start discipling men how to handle dangerous things. Right. And the embarrassment of like throwing up right. for my cigar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, okay, let me teach oh, you how to do You're like, yeah. oh, you're you're breathing too fast. Yeah. Right? Right. Exactly. Going too yeah. fast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's just stuff, man. It's just part of it's Or you're just, not asking good questions. You're not asking yeah. enough questions. You're talking too much. You just keep yeah. smoking. Just keep, yeah. And so there's all and there's all those things. And and you know, the, um I remember one pastor whose name I won't name so he doesn't get in trouble. What does it rhyme with? <laughs> he saying that it's it's less about uh, what you drink as as much. He said when you when you're dealing with alcoholism, it's it's not about what you drink; it's who you've been drinking. Mm-hmm. Who you've been right. drinking with? Yeah, yeah. You've been Psalm one principle. You've been dreaming. You've either been drinking oh, alone. Right. Yeah. You, oh yeah. You're sitting yeah. the seat of the scornful. Yes. Right. Well, because you because he, he said you've either been drinking alone, right, or you've been drinking with people that don't look at you and say, hey. 
Give me that. You're, That's done. One. You're done. You're done, brother. Let's get you a cup of coffee. And, and you know the kind of the kind of friends that. Well, you said you said that about a guy at the Fuentes event, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It was uh, there was a a guy um, who said something that was just um, inappropriate? And, I bought the Jews, uh, <laughs> and uh, um, and the uh, one of the guys was like said to him, "You been were you at church this morning?" He's like. Oh, he said, where'd you go to church this morning? He said, oh, I went, went to the mass over there. And he said, so you ate Christ. Christ is in you right now. And then that's going to come out of your mouth? He said, the Holy Spirit that <laughs> gave you Christ needs to be what's coming out of your mouth. It needs to be what's controlling your mouth. Yeah. If you, right? Like, just, just, and he was like, you're right. Like, just took, <laughs> like, just took a smack in the forehead from a, a, a brother who said, you, we, you don't talk like that if you're a Christian. Um, and we don't even check each other. Like, <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? was like, yeah, like no, yeah. we, yep. we Christians, totally. that's a good one. It's like, yeah, bro, you got, but we don't take communion every <laughs> yeah, week we either. Communion. So. <laughs> we established that at the beginning. Yeah, of the yeah, show. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think, I, I mean, I think that that's the thing is the, um, you know, if you, if, if you want to, if you want to go after men, you have, especially for the fatherless men, right. which is literally one of the groups of people we're told to go after, go right. after the fatherless and care for them, um, then we, we need the men in our church to grow up and be ready to be older brothers and fathers and and the ex, the extra older brother, extra father that they didn't have and 